Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Uh, week 72 of this project, and this week we clowned ourselves. <laughs> Just really did a, a lot of dumb things, and hurt our. we hurt our own pride, I think. Oh, it sure felt like it. Bro, I took 10 pages of notes in two days on Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, it was unfortunate that you had, like, real-life commitments that meant you had to cram cram all of these episodes in and ruin two days i don't even know if any of the notes make sense because i i was typing and typing and typing and that who knows we'll find out anyway i don't want to have too long a preamble because this is going to be a a long ass pod but i have two points to make yeah okay let's have them one uh if i played for my beloved oakland A's, right now i would be in the time of the season where i was going it's going to be a long year Let's pace ourselves. Let's not run too hard out there, guys. Don't want to strain a hammy or anything like that. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And instead, here I am beating my brains in, in like, what is the equivalent of June? (laughs) Halfway through this fucking baseball season. And I want everyone to appreciate that, that I'm fucking Cal Ripken and I'll take days off and we're fucking doing this thing hard for the three people that listen. Yeah. And I would like everyone to know that I'm Billy Ripken. (laughs) <laughs> whatever you think or know about him <laughs> um, i accept it all i said i had two points but i'm ready to move on after one actually that was such a good point as <clears throat> you made a very good point i'm sure your other point will come up organically sure. at some point the um the way we've been doing this for about 40 episodes so i don't know why i keep explaining it mm. is that uh we flipped the we flipped the finishing order last week. So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is the episode of the original Star Trek that we watched. We messed up the mix. Six one two Wharf Avenue. Yeah. Uh, that, that, episode which is that which survives. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Our boys on the Enterprise run across an impossible planet. Yet again, for the 90th time already, even though we've only done 72 of these. Yeah, they stand on the bridge talking about how impossible it is. It's a ghost planet, uh, they say, which means nothing. It's too young, it's too small, it's too heavy, it's too developed. Yeah. Uh, Spock is rock hard about it, but yeah, Kirk doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't have him. a magnetic pole. It's right. uh, it's all messed up. Uh, the, uh, there was a conference that declared it not a planet. That's right. Yep. And everyone's very thing. upset about it, and they're wearing ironic hoodies about how when they were young they had nine planets. All of that. Anyway, Sp- Spock's super excited about it, but this week he doesn't. Kirk doesn't let him come along. Yeah. He's well. taken. Su- he's taken Sulu. 
Yeah, but he's got... He's taking Sulu and McCoy. Guest of the week. Lieutenant Lieutenant Diamato, uh-huh. the ship's geologist. And Spock's got to sit up there on the bridge with Scotty. So... Hey, that's way better than sitting up there with Bones. It's a hundred times better. Oh, no, 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 for sure. For sure you'd rather sit up there with Scotty. Even though Spock and Scotty aren't friends, no. they're not. Spock's not a big drinker, I think, is what it is. <laughs> this is kind of is the problem. But they're not enemies. No, no not like Tuvok and Chakotay. They're not like They're not that. weird crush enemies like Spock and McCoy. <laughs> no. Uh, or, as you said, actual Actual real-life real arch nemeses, as described by the show. Tu- Tuvok and Chakotay. Yeah. Um, anyway, they all... These four boys trundle down to the transporter, get ready to beam out. Did you say as they the, trundle down? Yeah, they trundle on down there. Did you not remember the scene where they're all trundling? <laughs> Judah is getting over an illness. I'm looking forward to all of the descriptions. Uh, some of this stuff is fever stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, a woman just zoinks in. Right. Like there's a noise. Yeah. And I always I always say this. Describe her outfit. Uh, well, okay. So it's purple. It's purple. She's. Got a bare midriff, but yeah. she's not allowed to show her belly button this week. Mm-hmm. So it's got like a little panel that comes up and over it. Yeah, high waist just in the front. Yeah, high waisted just at the belly button specifically. Mm-hmm. And then uh They really just you know, keep moving like a, the fucking target on that, don't they? No. Whatever you call those I dream of genie tops that are like it just covers your boobs, but it's a little blousy. Yeah. It's not I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's the partner to harem pants. Yeah, it it go yes, she should be wearing harem pants, but she's her pants are actually pretty normal <laughs> except for the thing about the belly button which I did <laughs> right. just say. Sorry. Um so yeah, so she zips on in. Uh she screams at him you must not go, but I mean it's too late. They're going. Yeah, they're half. Uh she kills the transporter operator and they beam down. Yes. And I guess she's right, because the, as soon as they land, everything shakes on the planet, and also on the ship, and then f- f- where we see from the perspective of the Enterprise, the whole planet is gone. <clears throat> yeah. Actually, everything's gone, but it takes them a while to figure that one out. Yeah, they traveled a long distance, it turns out. Right. They got uh, Tin Man quite a ways. Yeah, she though she whispered to that transporter guy before she got him Danger Gom too and then that was it. Yeah. Uh and back on the planet, everyone can use their tricorders to detect that the Enterprise is no longer in orbit. Yeah, we should point out, I know this is I don't, I don't want to keep interrupting, but they, we should point out that they all saw her mid transport. So when they get down to the planet, they're all like, "Hey, did you see that lady? What the fuck was that?" Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> don't worry. They all saw her but it seems like none of them got a great look at her. No. Because, uh, spoiler alert, they're all going to meet her again. And none of them starts with, you killed that man in the transporter room. We saw they all him. have a little conversation with her. And then at some point, each one of them goes, wait a minute. <laughs> they wait they a saw, they could kind of see her, but in front of her was all those worms that Barkley always sees yeah, in the transporter. Yeah, they, they were all busy having... I was going to say Barclays Protomorphosis no, Syndrome, but of course I mean Transporter Psychosis. <laughs> that's right. That's not... It will not be the last time I make that mistake. Yeah. Anyway, the Enterprise is gone. That is not great. Uh, they do a lot of idle speculation, and Kirk says, you know what, maybe now let's find food and water. He doesn't say shelter. 
No. Uh, maybe because he knows they're indoors on that usual set. <laughs> it's the same set. Shatner couldn't make set. himself say it. He forgot to say we need to find shelter. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they, they go to find food and water. Uh, and uh, while they do that, we cut back to Enterprise and they have uh, they found. So Dr. Mubenga is up there. Mm hmm. They found the transporter operator. They didn't. They don't know yet what happened to him. They think maybe it was part of the ship shaking. So Spock just asks for an, an autopsy on that scenario. But we know he's dead. Yeah. Uh, at this point, the uh, Sulu's relief helms woman, uh, whose name is Lieutenant Rada, uh, yeah, uh, notices that they're a thousand light years away. Rada, the fake Indian. That's right. This is a, this is one of uh, Gene Roddenberry's fake Indians. He loves the Indian peoples, but he will not cast them. Yeah, not enough to cast one, except that one time he did it uh, just in actually, our face. Actually, he Gene Roddenberry was wildly checked out at this point, if if he was involved at all. So who who knows? Yeah, he probably was not on the casting call where they hired a uh, white lady, a member of the San Francisco Jewish Theater Group to be. <laughs> I looked her up. Uh, She's a white lady, and they made her face so a she, little bit brown and gave her a dot. Yeah, they made her face a little bit brown and put a, a barely visible dot on her forehead. Yep. And gave her a name with an H and then a D. Here so, you go. Uh, we all know what's going on here. It doesn't matter. It's not a part of her backstory. It's just some brown face that's going on. This lady also played a, another the other type of Indian. Oh, God. Uh, when Kirk was down there. When he was Kirok. When he was Kirok. When Kirok was down there. Yeah, not the main one, but she was there too. Anyway, she's up there. They're a thousand light years away. Spock and Scotty have a conversation about how even a supernova couldn't have done that. And like, I mean, how how could it have? Yeah, wouldn't it just blow you up? It would have just vaporized them. Yeah. And also they agree that the pla- if the planet blew up, they should just have been vaporized too. Right. So here's, hey, one more. It's one more impossible thing. Yeah, next to that ghost planet. It's a ghost planet. Right. But what can you do? They, uh, Spock asks very politely if the, he could get the ship up to warp eight to go back. And Scotty says maybe he could even give him just a little bit more. Hmm. They're getting along. So they head on, they head on home. Uh, down on the planet, it turns out that although there's, uh, grass everywhere, it's poisonous. Oh. This is not useful information. <laughs> well, it doesn't tend. It doesn't turn out to be. No, it's not. It's not anything. No. I, look. Okay. Well, maybe at the end, it's maybe it's maybe it's all poisonous because of the plague that we learn about at the very end that uh, McCoy does cool speculation about. Could be. But anyway, there's no food. Everything here sucks. Yeah. And not only that, <clears throat> Sulu's getting a strange magnetic reading that. Is like a door opening and closing, by which he means the magnetic field strength got big and then it got little again. Sure, but that's a like a door for him. Oh, that was the best analogy he'd come up with. Look, Kirk was shitting on everything he said every time he opened his mouth. Kirk corrected him, so he was probably in kind of feeling himself. Yeah, Kirk was on one this one, huh? Yeah. Anyway, instead of anybody saying maybe it is a door, they just say, "All right, that's good news." And at this point. Diamato runs into the woman. Yeah. 
Now she knows his name. Mm-hmm. She, uh, which is be- one better than Kirk because in the first scene he calls him Damato, and every other time he calls him Diamato. <laughs> uh, but this lady knows it's Diamato, and uh, not only does she know all about him, but she tells him, "I am for you." Oh, and this guy. <clears throat> This is the most sarcastic and not interested a dude who is still going to get laid has ever acted. He just under his breath goes, Lucky Diamato. <laughs> yep. As he kind of backs away and he goes, Hey, you mind if I call my boss? Uh, then he realizes she's the killer. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, we cut away. at For some reason, this is almost the exact moment that someone down on the planet is trying to reach Diamato. They can't reach him. They run over to where they think he is. Sure enough, he's there, but he's dead. Yep. Uh, McCoy now scans him and gets the same news that it took uh, a whole second doctor, not even Dr. Mabenga, to do an autopsy up on Enterprise to give us, which is that every cell in his body has been disrupted. Yep. Yep. Uh, by which they mean, like, blown up from the inside, maybe? That's. Uh, they do say something like that later. Exploded, I think. Yeah. They all look pretty normal for having had that happen. Yeah, for every cell in their body to have exploded? Yeah, they look just yeah. like dead bodies, but... I feel like you'd at least look like when Odo can't shape change or something, right? <laughs> kind of flappy, like all your yeah, bits are you coming think off. Yeah, wouldn't you think it'd be flappy? Yeah, maybe. Uh, Kirk decides he's gonna uh, dig a grave for this old boy, but he doesn't want to sweat, so he gets out his phaser. Yeah. Uh, and he, but he can't he can't blast a hole in the dirt because there's like a very thin layer of soil, and it's over some red, super dense rocks. Etc. It's all part of the mystery of this impossible planet. Yeah, he shoots two holes one foot from each other, and then he declares the whole planet is covered in this rock. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, he he does he does shoot an area. There are some rocks that are not that that are not receptive to phaser energies, and he that does then shoot an, another area right next to it, directly next to it, and then does declare that the entire planet is covered with this rock. Um. But what are you going to do? He's not a scientist. No, but he, and he does love coming, jumping to conclusions. That's his favorite. So thing. Kirk tells Sulu, check out these rocks. And uh, you and me, Bones, uh, we're going to we're gonna make build a little cairn here. Yeah. We're going to give him the Shat funeral, the, the Kirk funeral. Yeah. He gets I hope no one ever has to bury me like this. The, in the unnecessary funeral. take my body home to Earth. <laughs> the unnecessary funeral he gives him in generations when there are rescue shuttles coming right now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, listen, I think in the future, nobody knows how long a dead body takes to decompose. That's right. It could be any moment. Yeah. They think they're on the fucking clock. Yeah. Um, not everything's going great up on the Enterprise either. So, uh, Scotty's got a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. And he calls Spock and tells him the ship feels wrong. I can't explain it. It feels wrong. Spock tells him, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care about your feelings. Stop telling me feelings. Pay attention to your instruments. Um, Scotty then goes and tells his assistant Watkins to go check on some inter- interlock or safety system. Just mm. a hunch he has. Emergency bypass of some kind. Emer- some kind of emergency bypass. And uh, this old boy walks over into another room that we've never seen. And I said it was wild that we're building sets. Yeah, right Ten now. Ten episodes left in a canceled show. Yeah. 
uh, hey, the lady's there. And she, again, she knows all about this guy, and she he glances at the weird equipment he was supposed to check, and she knows all about that. And she says, I am for you. But this guy doesn't just get, like, <clears throat> sullenly, reservedly horny. <laughs> yep. Instead, this is probably the best red shirt death in all of Star Trek. He has time for an entire complaint. He gives an extremely detailed shout <laughs> yes. to Scotty about the woman. Mr. Scott, his... there's a strange woman here who knows the entire layout of the Enterprise. That's correct. Ah! Ah! <laughs> and then he gets got. Yeah. So, um, so he's down. <laughs> Back on the planet, uh... Kirk, Kirkson doesn't have Spock, so it took him three acts to get to this, but he finally has a hunch that they're on an artificial planet, Yep. which was probably a thing that uh, Spock was getting ready to tell him on the bridge before he <laughs> didn't get called for the away mission. How great would it have seen Ben where Spock turns over his shoulder to start to talk to Kirk about it, and then he goes, <laughs> oh, never mind, and then down on the planet, Kirk's like, must be some sort of invisible, pla- some sort of artificial planet. Right. Um, but they're going to try and catch some Z's. Uh, Sulu takes the first watch. Um, the eh, Enterprise, nothing important happens for a while. Yeah. Uh, the woman comes for Sulu <laughs> pretty much right away. Mm-hmm. And he does a little better than Diamato, too. Well, he at least backs away. He backs away, <laughs> shoots at her with his phaser. She can't be harmed. Uh, he shouts and wakes up Kirk. And when everybody gathers around, she keeps saying she's for Lieutenant Sulu. And when she tries to push Kirk out of the way, nothing happens to him. So now we know that she can only kill Sulu. She declared it. She called her shot. Yeah. And when Kirk figures it out and keeps blocking her, she becomes two-dimensional and disappears. (laughs) You know, great, what I'm sure was a great, great graphic that they came up with. Yeah. Uh... This is an episode of Star Trek, so at this point, the Enterprise is out of control and accelerating dangerously. (laughs) I mean, it happens so often. It happens a lot in TOS, but also just generally across the shows. It's a thing that happens. It's like the main fear that all of these writers have about space travel is what if the ship goes too fast? (laughs) Like, it probably can't take it. That's why they can't watch NASCAR. It's too stressful for them. Anyway, the uh, what happens is that emergency bypass control got fused, and so Scotty, Scotty knows the woman did it. Yeah. Uh, he's mad that Spock has uh, canceled the intruder alert, but Spock's like, "Fuck, dude, what are we gonna do? This woman could kill with a touch, and she could disappear into thin air." So. Yeah. Did you see her? She like turned all sideways and then like folded up. Anyway, uh, Scotty doesn't think anything can be done. The ship is going to blow up in 15 minutes. He's extremely resigned. He's like, I s- listen, hey, this one, this one they did real good. Yeah, he gave up. Uh, Spock does immediately have a plan, though. What if you went right into the energy stream and disrupted the fuel flow yourself? Yeah, you know, with your arm or butt or something. Or specifically a magnetic probe. Or that. And uh, maybe because he's a little bit ashamed of not having thought of it, Scotty volunteers to do the job. <laughs> yep. Uh, and while he gets ready for that, Spock's big plan, and this always works on Star Trek, so it should be his plan. Yeah. 
is to ask the computer why the ship feels wrong. The computer is very smart in DOS. He's it like, usually hey. knows the answer. He's like, hey, I feel bad about that stuff I said to you earlier about how you were dumb and an idiot and probably drunk. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Was that after our conversation? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to ask the computer because now that I think about it, I mean, something could be different. Yeah. Cool. So he's going to go do that. And like I said, you can ask the computer anything and it'll take eight minutes to do it. But it can answer any question. Yeah, it's, the TNG computer gives a lot of I don't knows. The TOS computer usually knows what's up. Yeah, it either does or it tells you there's not enough information or something. Right. Or sometimes it knows it knows that you asked for the holodeck, but it doesn't. <laughs> if you'd like it's to enter. in a really weird way if you'd like to enter. And if you'd like to enter, because I have other things to do. Yeah. <laughs> hey, computer, cool it. Um... <clears throat> So that's all going to go on. So they get ready for that. Uh, Kirk's big plan is everybody stay together because uh, the woman can only attack <laughs> one of us at once. Yeah, they do some real Monty Python antics in this episode of like standing in front of her and changing positions and going, Aha! I think what probably happened at this point is that the writers realized that they'd made a mistake in a later scene. Oh. And they needed Kirk not to have a phaser anymore, even though Sulu still gets to keep his, I guess, because it didn't do anything against her. Right. Uh, so, or she's mad about Kirk's plan, but she sets his phaser to overload and he throws it like a grenade. That's nothing. Yep. Um, I guess that's what happened during the time Spock was asking the computer. So Scotty gets boosted up into this crawlway, another new set. Yeah. That we have never seen. With all kinds of flashy lights and everything. Yeah, this was an expensive one, yeah. I think. And starts making his way towards the energy stream. Uh, back on the planet. The, uh, so this is going to be tense time, so there's going to be a lot of cuts back and forth. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, uh, the 15 minutes that we're given lasts at least 22 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. It's crazy. Uh, and not only is it crazy but like time runs out and the ship doesn't blow up Mm -hmm. and it's like oh they had a few extra seconds after all but the whole in this whole episode for some reason spock's being a real numbers asshole yeah everyone's i was gonna say later everyone's passing on what has happened to them so kirk is being a dick down on the planet and i assume he's like that to spock all the time so spock's like that up on the (laughs) ship and then scotty passes it on to watkins before he dies because he's like wait what do you want me to go check that and he's like i didn't ask you that it really is like, like my dad used to beat my ass yeah. every day. So, uh, yeah. So Spock's being a real numbers asshole. So the fifth, he corrects the fifteen minutes to fourteen point nine eight minutes or something, which is like one now, second different. <laughs> not even one second difference. You used like, up that Jesus. second anyway. Like, oh, okay. Well, it's way less now, Spock. I can't believe you're. This is not efficient yeah. anyway. Uh, the uh, the woman reappears. But this time she's for Kirk, so the other two whip in front of her, in front of him, rather. Mm-hmm. And she gets mad about it, but I guess it makes her chatty. She calls them invaders. She says she's Commander Losira of this station. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ask, uh, Kirk tries an easy one on her, and he says, is, uh, is killing right? And she says, no, nah, look, killing sucks. I don't want to do it, but it's my mission, even though everyone else here is dead. She winks out. And um, I guess this time they think about that thing Sulu said, because now they try to find that door that they've been detecting. Yeah. 
And I guess that's the magic word. This time it's not Kirk to Enterprise. Right. It's maybe just the word door or where's the door because a rock just slides away. I like, by the way, how often we refer back to that Kirok episode. It was wild in so many ways, including Kirk to Enterprise being the secret alien code word to open up that fucking thing. That episode was a real puzzler. <sighs> that's such a dumb coincidence, but this time the they don't... This time they don't even investigate it. It's just, I don't know, the door just opened. All right. So they go down inside. Uh, back on Enterprise, Spock's computer has finally worked out uh, what's different. The ship got fucking beamed out there, and it came back old, slightly out of phase, which is good because Scotty is very close to blowing up the ship with this magnetic probe mm. until Spock tells him, uh, you have to reverse the polarity. You got to m- uh, mix up the mess. And you know how it is when you're point zero 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 eight <laughs> units out of phase. You have to reverse the polarity on your instrument. Everyone knows. And by the way, you know what that means. You got to pull the handle off the fucking thing. He Literally, he had to pull it, twist it 90 degrees, and put it back on. Yeah, and those things always get stuck. Always at the worst time, too. This, this fucking tool is not <laughs> safe. No! It can go on in two different ways and putting it off on 90 degrees misaligned reverses the polarity yeah they've lost like 15 starships this way yeah how would you someone would have to check that every single time you'd to make have to sure check it every time it's unsafe no one either did a fuck up or a deliberate sabotage make the plug asymmetrical so it only goes one way it's uh, yep guys space osha yeah. come on man well we know that that their thing always says there hasn't been an accident in zero days it's fucking, it's the Enterprise. There's always an accident. Anyway, that works. Uh, so Lieutenant Rada doesn't have, doesn't get to push the jettison pod button, which her fingers have been fucking hovering over. I know, we're back to jettisoning pods. Yeah. <laughs> it's back. It's back. <laughs> this time, I think Kirk didn't want to deal with it anymore. It's not on his chair this time. It's, uh, <laughs> That's it's, right. It's Sulu's problem now, but he's not here. Uh, anyway, the ship starts slowing down, so it's not going to tear itself apart this oh, time. Thank goodness. Uh, inside the planet, they found a kind of disco room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a square disco lamp in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sierra reappears. She's a little coy about who she's there to kill. She's so at least learned her. that much to not she, just they, say out loud who she can kill. Right. They circle her until they fi- until they figure out that she's there for Kirk. And then they get in the way, and then two more of them are there. Yeah. So now they got to do a dance for about 20 seconds where they try to not be in front of the one that's for them. It's so dumb. Uh, Anyway, none of this fucking matters because at that exact moment, Spock and an unnamed security guard beam in. That was a bad sign for that guy. Kirk shouts, shoot the computer, and this security guard in one-tenth of one second identifies the The disco disco lamp as the computer and nails it with his phaser, and unlike everything else on this planet, it is vulnerable to phasers. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't blow up or anything, it just kind of dies. Yeah, no, it just goes... <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of the physical Lociras disappear, but now a projected image of Lucira appears on a wall. Yeah, dude, that's how you turn on that projection, by shooting the disco cube. Yep, and it is a warning message to her fellow Kalandans about the disease that killed the staff of the outpost. And how she's waiting for a supply ship to help her, but she doesn't think it's ever going to come. And she's sorry their mission was a failure. And then McCoy says, 
you know, all those previous supply ships must have spread the disease and killed their entire race. <laughs> and then they talk about whether or not Lucira was beautiful. The what end. really matters? <laughs> that, by the way, that ending was so TOS. It was like almost the most TOS ending you could have. I, ah, I guess like, their whole civilization probably died because of that, but uh, that probably was pretty hot, right? If, if Kirk had turned to him and said, I think I'm going to start bringing Mabinga down on these. <laughs> and well, Mabinga's not better, and we'll get into it. He's not better, but I mean... <laughs> we'll get into it. Maybe he's a different kind of shitty. So far, he's not horny on Maine like McCoy. Yep. <clears throat> well, uh, that was an interesting fucking episode. Here's what I caught. Hey. Hey, guys, I'm really sorry I described that episode for 25 minutes. No, it's okay. I'm looking at the time in Audacity. I am ashamed. Here we go. Here's what I got. Exploration and expansion come with great risk. Uh, for Lysira and her people, and for Kirk and his team of science-loving nerds every week, too. All they're doing out there is exploring and expanding and learning, and it's constantly putting them in grave danger. It's not a hot take, but it's very much at the core of Star Trek and Starfleet's mission. I gave it a six. All right, man. That's something. Uh, I had a different take. Good luck with this episode. This was a tough one because, first of all, the episode is called That Which Survives. Yes, and, and they the gave end, us that dumb thing about how beauty survives. At the end, they argue about how beauty survives. And then, so then I sat there for 20 minutes going, can that be what they thought the episode was about? <laughs> it's just a throwaway. It's a, that's a, just a dumb line. Um, in the future, by which I mean the future of people on Earth, not the space future. Okay. Extinct civilizations will pose a risk to archaeologists. Wow. Instead of just being a source of beautiful artifacts to admire. Huh. So for the most part, I mean, there's like, there's been just a couple of things that are dangerous. I mean, there's the dangers of, of the thing you're investigating might collapse on you, right? If you're in a tomb or something. Yeah, or if you're doing like an Indiana Jones or right. something. But aside from like, I don't know, t two Chinese emperors that had like a lake of mercury in their tomb. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Which is not that dangerous, frankly. No, if you just look at it and go, oh, I don't think I want to touch that. It's been pretty safe. He, uh, previous human civilizations have not been leaving dangerous artifacts behind. Yes, yeah, so it is a clear, it's surely a hot take. But now we have like toxic and radioactive waste... Uh, there's stuff like landmines. Those won't last forever, but it's stuff, you know, we're leaving more dangerous artifacts behind. Uh, I see. And frankly, even an automated defense system like this one, like this episode imagines, isn't, it's not too far out. Yeah, right? I mean, we already got the Echo Papa, right? Do I we, mean, do we have it? We can, yeah, do you want to talk now about how <laughs> Arsenal of Freedom is this episode, but a million <laughs> times better? I'm sure it'll come up 50 times. So we were living you, in the same space. I was saying, you know, exploration the way they it, do is dangerous. It, it really is about exploration, yeah. but I thought this is again about you know what we leave what we leave behind. Maybe a little message for the future. That's about true. That which survives. Yeah. Not beauty, but terror. Uh, exactly. Okay. Like at, once they're safe, you can have an argument about whether, like, oh, she must have been intelligent. Oh, mm -hmm. she's very beautiful. Now it's like they're looking at a fresco. Sure. 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 Or they just always treat women like objects is, of course, the other thing. Definitely. Uh, quadruple sure. Like, maybe they'll have the blind doctor 
over to dinner. Oh, they don't know she's blind. Maybe they'll have... Uh, they'll just have doctor over to dinner and say in front of her over have, and over again. She's like a, a great ambassador who's been working with these people who were so ugly that looking at him goes crazy. Anyway, uh, she's a fucking dime piece. Yeah. And they're going to say, say it, it to her face. To her and about her in front of her. Listen, it's important, uh, Dr. Jones, that you know that I am also extremely horny for you. <laughs> Any one of us. I don't want you to get you. the impression that it's just my colleagues here who are very horny. That's right. I didn't get a chance to say it earlier, but I uh, I will say that you are the most beautiful ambassador I've ever seen. Uh, anyway, I agree with you. It's a six. Okay, So good. we're in the same space. There's a take to be found in this episode. Yeah. How, but... It's you. Okay, so execution. Yeah. N- number one, there's like a weird seduction element to the thing she's doing with the "I am for you" and she knows all about them. I am for you. I, don't, I didn't. I didn't think it landed. Mm. I thought they all seemed confused. Yes. Yes. Maybe that was the plan. Was, <laughs> I didn't think it was necessary. She could have just gone out there and said fart salad. And they would have gone. I mean, I guess what? it caught everything. <laughs> no, exactly. What? Are you, what? I, it caught everyone off guard, so that it took it took them an extra fifteen seconds to recognize that they'd seen her kill a man before. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, also, there's enough of her personality left in these drones that she doesn't want to kill, but it, she never stops trying. It, it, Kirk doesn't talk her out of killing. At the end, he says that it slowed her down enough for Spock to get there to rescue them, but I didn't see any evidence of that. No, she was pretty slow the whole time. She doesn't kill she anyone was, quickly. Yeah, she's slow moving the whole time. Like, I, I guess it's better than a fast touch zombie. I thought he asked her if killing was wrong because he has had so many moments where he shouted at people that he wouldn't kill. And he thought <laughs> yes. maybe if she felt like he did, he could get oh. her to go that way it for sure felt like kirk knows what kind of uh beings he runs into and that maybe he could just convince her killing was wrong yeah i will not kill i know this is gonna seem like a hail mary given that you've killed a few people already but uh do you find killing to be wrong she's like because for real sometimes people just stop killing when i say that she's like good point good point good point but counterpoint fart salad um, the stuff with the out of control enterprise. Yeah. Uh, I think would have been way more effective if it wasn't happening every week this season. Mm-hmm. They always have to give the people on the ship something to do while the people on the planet are doing another different thing. And they've only ever thought of one thing. Stop the out of control ship. Well, there's two. So there's two things. One of them is argue about whether they should keep going by the book <laughs> when yeah. when the captain's in danger. Uh-huh. And then this thing. Right. Ship, ship's out of control. Either it's falling out of orbit or it's out of control. Uh, but Scotty in the tube is probably the only good part of it. Like the only tense part of this show. Yeah. Uh. And then the, there's the usual time problems with this one. They spend 40 minutes on the surface fucking around and doing nothing. 10 seconds after they get inside the station, they immediately recognize that that thing's the computer that's controlling everything. Mm-hmm. And the, then they shoot it to death. And the episode wraps in fucking 38 seconds. Right. And it's just done. And it's like, 
He could have spared a minute. Oh. You could have had another conversation with Lasira down here, you know? Once again, minutes mismanagement. Yeah, yeah, definitely Every mismanagement. Week. It's the usual. Um, on the whole, though, I mean, that's a lot of criticism. I still gave it four points. We've definitely seen worse. Yeah, uh, we're pretty close. I gave it a three. Um, one thing that I like, TOS does usually clear the very low bar of making the crew seem sort of competent. Um, yes. People also, they they almost all seem like real people, which some shows don't do. Yeah, they so they all seem to basically know how to do their job and what to do. I wish they'd be way less emotional about everything, but I guess in the '60s that was what you had to put on TV. Had to be a lot of emotional drama. Um, it, it must have been all of the cigarette smoking and cocktails at lunch. I, like, <laughs> what made else people really erratic. Been? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but for instance, I, I, when Kirk and company have to figure out how to survive on that planet, they're like, well, what does live here? Well, what that? What does that thing, what sustenance does that thing use? Let's try to find that and use that. And then like 50 other examples of them just sort of competently going about their business. Um, but there is a weird inconsistency between the way they get overly emotional about unanswered questions. But when people straight die, they just go, eh. That guy wasn't important. It is certainly true. They just keep smirking and joking. Even Dr. Mabenga just smiles. Dr. Mabenga is a fucking ghoul in this he episode. smiles and he jokes is, his whole way through he's autopsy trying reports. to crack jokes with Spock. He's like, hey, Spock, you're number two. I'm number two. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you can call gonna, me about this autopsy. You're not going to bust gonna my make, balls. I'm going to make a bunch of jokes. He's just You and me, Spock, we're the same. During the autopsy reports, it's very yeah. wild. Apparently, nobody gave a crap about Transporter Man or Watkins. I mean, Scotty claimed Scotty claimed to like Watkins. Well, good. That's one, one real character on the show. Well, listen, I liked Watkins from his one scene. Where he where... lied to that lady and she didn't buy it? Where he lied, where first of all he lied to that lady, He's and like, then this, second uh, of all he shouted a bunch of information as she ton buried at him. <laughs> this, uh, this is a vending machine, I think. I was just gonna get some soup. You can get soup out of this vending machine, <gasps> Mr. Scott. Please listen uh, I carefully. Know. I have a detailed explanation. I don't know what any of this equipment is. I was sent here to look for uh, ladies wh- whose pants are high waisted <laughs> just at the front. And I think I, I think I found one. Right. It must have been you. Um, time, again, moves crazy slow in this episode. The 15-minute countdown lasted, like, twice that long, and it was so boring. This preposterous shit about switching positions when the three ladies come in the end. I, like I said earlier, it was out of Monty Python. Ha-ha! Oh, yeah. I've switched positions, and now you'll never stop me! It's like, they could just reach diagonal. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. They can kill with a single touch. That's your great uh, unless plan? The, except when they don't. We actually don't see how long it takes them to kill. Yeah, she barely gets a hand on Sulu and hurts his shoulder. Yeah, but she necrotizes a bunch of his shoulder. Yeah. I don't know, and what are we supposed to do with that last line? Like, what? what's happening? <laughs> I know, it's the worst. What's, what are we really doing? Can't you just cut that ten seconds short and the episode gets an extra point for execution? Like there's, a, there's a fucking first draft, and at the end of it, one of the writers is, feels really confused. <laughs> And he said, wait a minute, guys. I think we ah, I think we screwed up royally. I don't think anywhere in there we had anyone say she was beautiful. <laughs> we better uh who who do we get to play who are we gonna get to play this? Do we know? Someone beautiful, right? Okay, good. Let's make sure we put it in the episode then. Uh the fucking network made us hire women who can read, so 
Who knows? Uh, moving on to world building. A ghost planet, he says, but no explanation of why he calls it a ghost planet. Yeah, it's a weird description. All the stuff about the planet you mentioned earlier, uh, this lady and her whole civilization being dead. Spock managed to calculate that they traveled 990.7 light years by looking at the stars. Yeah, uh, I uh, I thought it was ridiculous that maybe Kirk had that ability yeah. to recognize where they were. I think he peeked down at that panel. <laughs> she said a thousand, and we looked down and he went, "You she mean nine hundred Because she didn't want to say nine hundred and ninety point seven. And then he looked down to see what the real number was because he was on a numbers thing now. Uh, was it Watkins who was engineer grade four? Yeah, engineer grade four. Uh, you get a good look at an overloaded phaser explosion. Looked pretty powerful. Uh, they get up to warp 14.1 in this thing before they eventually... That seems like it should be fast enough to go back in time, but they don't. <laughs> the meter never turned red or whatever, so... Uh, Return of the pod. Jettisoning the, jettisoning the pod is back. Um, he didn't seem like he was in a pod. If I'm honest. No, he seemed he like he was in a Jeffrey's rigged, tube or something. He, he, he rigged up the tube to explode behind him, but that doesn't explain why there's a button on her panel to do it. It's very odd. And what reversing polarity means on that little spanner. Yeah, well, it's a magnetic probe, so I guess you could flip north and south. I had it as a two. Maybe you can convince me that there's more. Um, Warp eight? is a lot and something Spock feels like he needs to ask Scotty whether they can do. It does kind of seem like TNG can kind of go warp 9 at will. And although they they very rarely do actually, yes. as you'll note that every episode I criticize the warp speed Picard chooses to go to. But you don't start to feel like it's a big deal unless they get into the 9 points. Yeah, also and... their warp 9 is much faster. Yes. The scale's been reconfigured. Yeah, but my point is, it seems like they're like, oh, we can go, like, warp nine pretty easy. But it seems like, for TOS, like, they're like, warp eight, and they're like, oh, I don't know, that's pretty tough. That's a yeah. tough one. So whatever their max sort of cruising speed is, I'm not sure at this point. Yeah, it's true. Uh, phasers can heat rock to 8,000 degrees centigrade. Sounds like a lot. Uh, they've got pretty, they, they feel at least like they have pretty solid understanding of planetary development and evolution, because this thing's a fucking baffler. You're right. Uh, and then uh, Diamato's got a geological tricorder, it's got kind of a different layout. Oh, I didn't notice his tricorder was different. I get a different tricorder. Also, the ship travels with a geologist. Yeah. So that's not new. <laughs> yeah, uh, they have so many specialized departments on that ship. I gave it the standard three. I wouldn't argue for a high number. Okay. <clears throat> Characterization. Yeah. Kirk says to Sulu, there are no good ways to die, Sulu. Mm. And that doesn't feel like Kirk to me. <laughs> no, and also it was just another thing that he could correct Sulu. About. It really did feel like he just wanted to correct Sulu. Sulu's like, that's an awful, that's a terrible way to go or whatever. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Every cell in your body gets disrupted. It might be awful. <laughs> yeah, or Kirk's maybe you don't notice. <laughs> but Kirk could just let it go or just be like, yeah, I know. Mm. But no one ever just goes, yeah, I know. Uh, I felt it was, on the other hand, very in character and not in a good way for McCoy to be constantly butting in and telling everyone that a woman is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um... 
I thought Scotty and Spock have an unusual conflict in the middle of this episode. Scotty at one point tells Spock he doesn't want to hear about the theory behind something. Mm. Uh, the engines feel wrong and Spock thinks he's being too emotional about it and later he apologizes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they knew the show was canceled, right? <laughs> we don't need to introduce a new character dynamic. Where it's like, oh, you know Scotty, he's the practical guy, and Spock's got his pie-in-the-sky theories all the time. It's like, where's this coming from? Yep. Yeah, those two Uh, couldn't agree the whole time. That said, there was nothing here where I was really like, what the fuck? I gave it a five for characterization. I agreed. I gave it a five. Um, Like, I wish McCoy wasn't this way, but it's well established. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm done with him. I finished with him a long time ago. So yeah, McCoy's canceled. Um, Spock is horny for science mysteries. <laughs> every time, every time Spock is in charge, shit gets weird, and he has to deal with everybody getting in his business the whole time. And I think he likes it that way because he definitely engages. Well, and also he doesn't go out of his way to explain or preempt things. Yeah, he likes to have everyone come up there and be like, "Are you mad?" That's his favorite shit. Um, Kirk doesn't want to hear anything about Russia unless Chekhov is saying something very dumb about it. He's like, if I want to hear about Russia, I would have brought Chekhov. Yeah, but on the other hand, the, the ship, there's one big bang and the planet shakes, and Sula's like, it's probably the Tunguska event. Yeah. What? <laughs> He's like, well, uh, one time in, uh, a meteor hit Siberia, and then... Uh... It's like, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe. <laughs> um, again, he shits on everything Sulu says the whole time. Scotty can feel that the ship is off somehow, but again, he's kind of a quitter in this one. The emergency bypass gets fused, and he goes, Oh, you didn't hear? I'm terminal. <laughs> I'm gonna die, and that's that. Um, but after he fixes the thing and he disrupts the magnetic current or whatever the fuck was going on, I like him just laying down and listening to Spock's dumb lecture in the Jeffrey's tube or pod or whatever that was after he saved the day. Yep. Um, Sulu doesn't want to have to kill a woman, especially one so evil and so, so beautiful. (laughs) That was weird, huh? Sulu, is that the time? (laughs) Yeah, hey Sulu, come on. Is he going to flatter himself out of it? Was he like, I'll throw her a bone? Maybe she won't well, kill me. Oh, you're you're so beautiful, though. I I don't want to have to hurt you. Maybe if I took my shirt off, <laughs> maybe oiled a up a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just a five for me too. Uh, a lot of what we've come to expect, and as you see, I did not take notes on McCoy. I don't do that anymore. But this episode, like this episode, really. Eh, I mean, no one had taken over a planet. And it wasn't a version of something that happened on Earth. But otherwise, this episode really was the previous 71 Star Trek episodes thrown into a hopper and agitated violently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happen- It just turns out that the ball that, that popped out of that fucking machine didn't say um, they get captured by a force with unknowable power or whatever. Right. But otherwise, all of the standard things came out. Uh, I got some quick ones. Oh, give them to me. I went, oh shit, a senior geologist? That never goes well. Whenever they have a mission specialist, it gets it goes tits up. Um, And then uh, Lieutenant Rada, she's a fake dot Indian. Why? 
Um, this geologist's acting style is always out of breath. The <laughs> whole time, Diamato's like, well, uh, I, I, I'm just reading. And it's like, oh my god, why is he, why is he so tired? Yeah. yeah, there's a reason this guy works with rocks and not, <laughs> you know, stuff that moves. And then I went, oh, and now he's getting a wife. Oh, no, or he's dying. Um, they gave him a rock funeral with his name written in Sharpie on the top rock. Oh, uh, yeah. I did write, where did they get the black paint for that grave marker? Again, Kirk shoots shoots two spots on the ground and then decides that the whole place is covered in it. Um, thing about the guy saying the very long sentence before he dies, and then... Christ, are you lonely, Kirk? Get a move on. I'm so tired of this episode. He straight up asked the lady if she was lonely. He did. Like, I don't have time for this. Let's just resolve this thing. If you're going to waste my time, let's make the episode 33 minutes. So that's it. What about you? Oh, you covered so many of them. Um, Yeah, Bones must be a lot better just as a doctor than whoever's third in command up there, Dr. Sanchez or whoever, because uh, he didn't need a whole autopsy to determine that every cell in Diamato's body had been disrupted. You scanned him for three seconds. Uh, yeah, Mabenga's kind of a ghoul. Uh, do, uh, Lieutenant Rada was very murder-happy at the end of that. Not, not only was her finger hovering over the button, but she kept saying to Spock, like... Spock, come on. Yeah. Spock, it's time for me to press the button. They should have had her going, it's him or us! <laughs> it really should have. Because <laughs> she wanted him gone. She she did not have a good trip out as reserve helmsman. No. All right. Uh, I give best actor to Spock. Okay. I gave worst actor to Lysira. Now, I don't think she had a lot to go on. She only got to even talk like a regular person in that video at the end. She mostly got to do dossiers <laughs> yep. of people and then say, I am for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not so great. Yeah, she didn't do it good, though. It's fine. Um, No notes from Ben this week except for Enterprise, in case you're wondering if we just forgot him. Yeah, the holidays, probably. I'm sure he hasn't quit on this wonderful project. I, who who could blame him either way? Mm-hmm. Fourth place last week. Yeah. Was TNG. This week we watched Transfigurations. Jordy and Worf talk about Christy Henshaw. And how Jordy can't get this lady's business all over him. Then she comes up and talks to Jordy and he goes, Oh, oh, well, oh, oh, and Worf throws up in his mouth a little bit. And then they get a distress call from some, I don't know, moon or something. It's so much worse than you described it. It is much, it's sad. It's very sad. (laughs) It's like he quits on life six times in that conversation. And, he goes, uh, like, you could see him going, I'm going to come to suicide. And then he goes, well, maybe not. No. I'm it's gonna. really an amazing performance. She comes up to him. Okay. In her no bra outfit Ooh. that she has picked out for this occasion. <clears throat> nice. 
She's that's how it's Hi, doing. Hi, Jordy. <laughs> oh. Hi. Hi. <laughs> how well, she says? How are things, going how are things engineering? in engineering? And he says, "Good. good. They're they're good. They're good." <laughs> He's mad at himself. <laughs> In the During moment. the conversation. That's what I'm saying. You could see him quit on himself so many times in that he conversation. Doesn't, he doesn't leave. No. And then on the way out, he's like, stupid. <laughs> he's mad at himself while Worf cannot contain his disappointment <laughs> next is, to him. Worf is fucking pissed. It's extremely bad. Uh, then they get a distress call. They go to some damn moon or something. They find an injured dude with a ground beef for a head. Um... Beverly. Yeah, they're doing the standard planetary survey. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, they're doing they're surveying a star a, a cluster. Full fucking seven weeks in this one. Yeah, I think it's a full star cluster is why. Um. Anyway, Beverly sticks a beeping pad to this guy's ground beef head and says, "Somebody needs to be hooked up to the other end of this thing because because of the nightmare that modern medicine has become." I guess. Hey, listen, here's a horrifying thing. <laughs> I need someone else's brain to keep this man alive. Fucking weird request, but our boy Jordy, probably feeling bad about everything in his life, volunteers hoping he's going to die. And uh, he gets a flash of light beamed into his head. Uh, he says he's okay, though. Since that's the end of the teaser, I bet I bet he won't be fine, though. Credits. Uh, while Beverly works on saving Beefhead's life, Picard awkwardly holds a blue bottle for a while on the bridge. And Data's going to try to see what data he can read off of it. Oh, it's an alien computer. It's not a bottle. Jordy walks into sickbay and says he's feeling fucking amazing. Beverly explains to Picard, who comes down to shoot the shit, that this guy will live, but it's not because of her. It's because of his crazy cells that are constantly healing and changing. And when they go to Marcus 12... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the way I said that. Um, <laughs> you did kind of, you did kind of going and that's what you're changing, and I'm reading this for the first time. Um, anyway, even his healthy cells are changing. Um, just jumping around a bit now. Jordy's hanging out with Worf and Data and talking about how best uh, to crack the code on this blue bottle. Everyone gets to hold for a little while. Worf gets cranky because they're talking shop and not getting fucking ripped. Yeah, tells two of his bosses. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not in his direct chain of command. But they're definitely above him. They they're for sure are above him. Yeah, he says, uh, more, less talk. Less talk. More, more synthol. Yeah. Um, uh, the key here, by the way, in this scene, is that Jordy has never felt better. I don't know if I said it before, but he has never felt better since he nah, got he's that. doing great now. Since he got that thing beamed into his head. Uh, he goes over and gets his Mac on with Christy Henshaw, and she can sense his new confidence and is overcome with what the great poets have called manimal lust. <laughs> Beefhead, Beefhead wakes up in sickbay, and... Uh, uh, so, so first of all, it's totally true. Also, though, she was coming on to him in the cold open. I mean, she was at least... I think she was at least saying, I'm open to this. I, don't, I mean, there was definitely a mess. First of all, she was sitting back there... With her chubby friend chatting. Yeah. <clears throat> having a little laugh and a joke. And then she went over, stood right next to Jordy and Worf. Mm-hmm. She doesn't belong there. I, well, if we're just going to do it, I, I have a theory corner that she has her own Christy Henshaw. Who turned her down? Uh, me too. Uh, but my, the- well, not that it turned her down. My theory corner is that she has just been Rikert. 
Well, whatever it is, she's open to Jordy. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Riker, has, they have a little interaction later. I think Riker knows her. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Beefhead wakes up in sick bay, and he's actually very nice, and I feel a little bit bad about calling him Beefhead so much. But now we're all using the same terminology, so I'm not going to change it. Um, oh, in the first scene, you could see his brains and teeth and stuff <clears> through <throat> the piece of his head that's missing. I do have a note that this episode is pretty gory. It's, this is a this episode is a, a medical procedural for the first thirty minutes. Yeah. So. Uh, he's recovering crazy fast and even like walks around sick bay. Picard comes by to chat, and the guy can't remember any of the details of his life before waking up in sick bay. But Picard and company have definitely figured out he was in a battle. They can read all the phaser fucking uh, traces and shit. Um, by the way, it's specifically his phasers. Yes. Um. Riker catches Jordy and Christy getting busy in the turbo lift. Jordy says that this whole last month he's been feeling great. So time jump, I guess. A month has passed. Yeah, it's taken him a month to get to the point where he's walking. Uh, the genesis of O'Brien's kayaking program. O'Brien has a messed up shoulder, and right in front of Wesley and everybody, this guy does a magic miracle. This beefhead and relieves <laughs> O'Brien's shoulder pain by touching him. Yep, he's a real faith healer. Wesley and Beverly are having dinner and talking about how much Beverly wants to get in this guy's jumpsuit. His very thin and showy jumpsuit. Then on the bridge, Data and Jordy figure out that this blue bottle has navigational data in it, and they figure out where this uh, beefhead is from, so they decide to go the 2.3 parsecs to drop him off. It's actually kind of on the way. Yeah, they they actually aren't going to go out of their way, even though that's not very far for the Enterprise-D. No but they're in the middle of this goddamn survey. That's true. Uh, Picard goes to tell Beefhead that they can take him home now and that um, he has a bad reaction to that. He seems yeah, to... Yeah, he's ins- not favorable. Yeah, he seems to instinctively know that he cannot go home, that he was trying to get away from there. Um, then when he's left alone, he glows a whole lot in his chest area. He might have done that earlier, too. Yeah, he's been having episodes where he has painful glows. Mm-hmm. He and Beverly are in 10 Forward, and he talks about how amazing it is that all these different kinds of people can work together freely, and how his people aren't like that, even though this is the first time he's ever come in contact with them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, and, um... The binars seem perfect for this, <laughs> even though this is the first time that I've ever come in contact with them. It's fucking trailing off at the end is what's so great about that. I mean, everything's great knows, about that. Someone wrote that on paper. Riker, the character, and Frank's the actor, both know. That they shouldn't yeah. have even started this sentence, and now they don't know where to go with it. Um. Anyway, he's on a magic journey of some kind, and uh, he feels like he needs to complete that before he can adopt Wesley, I guess? <laughs> I don't know what... Kind of. I don't know what... He definitely tells Beverly he doesn't have time for it right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in sickbay, he glows bright again and starts rambling about how he has to leave, he has to get off the ship... Suddenly, he's sprinting down the hallway and runs into a shuttle bay where Jordy's making some repairs to a shuttle. Looks like the Albaz. Yeah, it might have been the Albaz. The dude keeps glowing intermittently while he attempts to start the shuttle launch sequence. Worf goes up to stop him. The guy glows too close to Worf and sends him hurtling to his death. Yeah, death. I said death. He broke his neck and died. Instantly. No life signs. For ten seconds, because John Doe... That's what Beefhead's called in this episode. Uh, heals him with his magic hands. Yep. Um, Picard interrogates Beefhead uh, from about three feet away, so he didn't learn Worf's lesson. 
Um, <laughs> an alien ship they've been tracking uh, catches up to them as Jordy says farewell to John, John the Beefhead, and thanks him for letting him finally have sex. John tells him Jordy had it in him all along, and then he gives him a playful headlock, probably. <coughs> they communicate with the alien vessel, who is, of course, from the same species as Beefhead, and um, the captain of this vessel wants, well, he wants John Doe back. He's a dangerous criminal, and he needs to be killed. Uh, they find out he's a dissident of some kind. The guy doesn't really clarify, but their ship is as advanced as the Enterprise, so they can't just say, fuck you, bro, we're keeping him. Yep. Picard has his usual conference on morality, you know, with Worf, Troy, and the gang, whoever. Beverly's there, of course. Um, to decide whether they should just hand Beefhead over. Picard tries to chat uh, with the guy on the other ship, and then the guy gets mad and pushes a button, and nobody on Enterprise can breathe anymore. Yeah. John, uh, John Doe heals Beverly and then slowly explains that he's recovered his memories <laughs> while a thousand people choke to death. Boy, it takes him a long time to fix the whole ship, huh? But then eventually out in the hall, he touches <clears throat> the bulkhead and then everybody can breathe again. Yeah, don't try to hold your breath while you <laughs> wait for him to fix it. <laughs> then he transports the bad guy over to the Enterprise bridge. Uh, Beefhead explains that he's mutating into an existence beyond the physical being and that... Um, Everybody like him on his planet, they were labeled as dangerous, and most were destroyed. Then he goes, like, full glow-up, and he's clearly speaking through a full-body and face suit designed to make the special effects work. He's just in a fan suit. He's... And all they've done, special effects-wise, is add a glow. <laughs> he says now they can't stop him from telling his people the truth, probably about Christianity. And people yeah. will follow him to this new phase of existence. The suit is so wrinkly. <laughs> It's not even it's not even tight on him. It's like he holds up his hand and his arm is just wrinkles and waves and you're like, I legit paused it and laughed for like two minutes. What's going on? Did they think we would never I mean Yeah, it's pretty baffling. Even on a small just, TV that must have looked dumb. He was already mostly wearing a jumpsuit, they just put a hood on him. Yep. Uh he says bye to Beverly and winks out into space, and that's the end of the episode. So, um, I'm sure you have a very good take on this one. Um, so this is tough because I, I feel like what this episode is, is what if you were friends with Jesus? <laughs> that be neat. What if you what met if him? You were, what if you were like, okay, hear me out. This is blasphemous. But what if you were like attracted to him? What if you were And having... he had things... Like, he's Jesus, so he's not going to eat you out. But, like, <laughs> Maybe. But like, what if there was a flirty energy? What if you had a flirty energy with Jesus? What and, if you had a uh, kid? He was almost going to be your kid's new dad, and your kid was into it. <laughs> and he kept bringing people back from the dead and curing their kayak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it all kind of falls apart at the end, huh? Because it, it's not really Jesus, <laughs> unless the unless you have a, an, an unusual view of Christianity, in which you believe that. Uh, we'll all turn into. If everybody learned about Jesus, they could just become Jesus. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? Isn't that why people proselytize? Isn't that how it works? Um. Well, that's one particularly crunchy way to interpret it, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, so that's what's happening in this old episode. Huh. Uh, but the take that I got from it, my fever take on this one, mm, yes, is 
a perfectly conservative society denies itself the opportunity to grow and evolve. Ah, that's right. Uh, and in this case, to literally evolve into a fucking, uh, the, and well, to evolve into the Greendale human being. That is correct. He's going to evolve into the Greendale human being. Um, this is not. It's tough because it's again. That's not the story that they were interested in telling. Right. Uh, but at the end, when suddenly Picard believes that John's undergoing something important, and Sunat is foaming at the mouth about disruptive influences, that's sort of where I got with this. Yeah. yeah. You. The idea is basically. You're hurting yourself and you're limiting yourself if you suppress all change. Okay. Fine. It's not amazing, but it's fine. I gave it a four. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting because I gave mine a five and I liked your take better. Okay. Here's mine. You think I have underrated my own take? Yeah, I thought that was a six take, but, you know, that's just if I had gotten that take, I would have given it a six. I might have been mad about having to work for it, frankly. Um,. Here's what I had. People are often labeled as dangerous who are really just different, especially if they have insanely powerful magic powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the last part of that, which is the real neutering factor in this take. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. And since I can't tell who we're supposed to be talking about in real life, like if this is supposed to be a story about a real life kind of thing. There's something that's like... It's like the most thinly veiled, maybe, about persecution of homosexuals in this one. Except that do homosexuals get magic John powers? so fucking gentle. Okay. Yeah, though, well, first of all, don't people who are deeply homophobic act like they are afraid that <laughs> I, that's gay what people have the magic power to make them become gay? <laughs> oh, you're right, because then everyone knows if they know about it, they're going to become gay, too. Yeah, frankly, there's something to it. Huh. Uh, some I feel people like you're talking read, me up to like an eight. Some people have read into that about the ho- the homosexuality aspect. But Is that why he turned down Beverly? Seem like, well, he claims he's too busy. He's just too busy <laughs> with busy. his transformation. That is, boy, that is what you'd Listen, say in the 80s. I'm That's busy exactly discovering, what you'd say. I'm busy on this important transformation to doing gay stuff with men. So I can't get involved right now. If like a single mom cougar came on to like a like a well-to-do gay gentleman in the eighties, he probably would just say he was too busy. Yeah. To like let her down easy. Well, this is not something I invented from whole cloth. <laughs> this is one of the episodes that people sometimes think uh, it is an area where TNG notorious, notoriously fell pretty flat on its face. Yes, 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 yes. And this is one of the very weak attempts that they made. Hmm. Hmm. Uh oh. <laughs> well, because I have problems with it, and that's why I can't. I had to keep it general because if it's about the the gay people, he threw Worf over a railing with his powers. Well, he didn't mean to. I get that. Worf got too close to the sun and got burned. I'm just saying. What is the? If we're doing, if we're doing the talking about that's gay, pro- thing, that's probably AIDS. I don't know. He got too close to him and got he got the AIDS. He got the AIDS because he. Did he bleed on him? And that was oh, a big a fear they had? Seat. You know how it is. I'm going to keep it a five. There's an interesting chance for points there. I just don't think they did the work. I don't think they quite got there. Oh, no, 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 no. <clears throat> this show was always too afraid to whisper about homosexuals, <laughs> yes. let alone do a whole episode. Star Trek in general is pretty bad about that until the new one, Discovery. Yeah. There's not a lot of uh, the gayness. They know they're not uh, into but- it. 
but don't worry. I'm sure there are still people shouting about it that they should. Why, why do you have to make it about gays? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, you ruined my Star Trek. Exactly. You cucks. Um, uh, execution. This is where I ask, why did he have to be dangerous? He killed Worf. And he can beam a guy with a snap of his fingers. And again, he's dressed as the Greendale human being, which is horrifying. And he actually could be really dangerous. That means the bad guys like might have a point almost. Because if he's less of a good dude, and he just goes, uh, yeah, I just uh, snapped my finger and killed everybody. Yeah, if he would like had a memory of the way that his government had mistreated <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, and then he like got a little mad about it, and then he pulled Maybe a... he choked everyone on his ship to death. <laughs> Maybe he pulls a fucking Dowd, and he, and he blinks them out of existence or something? I don't know right. what he can do. <laughs> yeah, his powers are unclear, but significant. But then it's like, if they do have a point, you need to make them mustache-twirling cartoon villains, which they do. The, with the evildoer weapons that choke everybody, and you have to make John a super nice guy, which this is what they do. It's like they they wrote a needlessly complicated and self-sabotaging episode. Oh, yeah. Fucking Gene's buddies out here. Yeah. Doing this thing. Um, The time jump in this one is kind of nuts, considering the star date was already at 439-something-something-something last week. Yeah, there's not a month left in this year. How did this happen? I don't know. The B-plot is totally pointless. I mean, it's related, but Jordy added in him all along, huh? That's definitely not what we were led to believe. He better get a lot of ass from now on. (laughs) Right? If he's now learned that he had it in him all along? For sure, he should really be. So we'll try, it let's up track this that. Point. Let's see if he fucking is just knocking girls out left and right. I don't know, man. Here's the thing. Maybe he did. What changed? Christy Henshaw hated her date with him so much. <laughs> I mean, it was very bad. Did you see what he was so, wearing? So much in booby trap. Yeah. And now she's making moves on him? <laughs> I mean, again, there are multiple ways to read it. I also read it as she was opening up herself to the possibility of Jordy until he did what he did. I mean, but why? She's already been on a date I with know, him. I know, I know. Again, we both feel like something happened to her. She got got in some way. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it's a two for me on execution. I, I felt like they were just... They didn't know what to do. That's really... I should have just said that. It would have been a lot quicker. They didn't know what to do. Um. Yeah, man. Uh, this episode is like all the worst moments of the most toys where people just say crazy sentences. They never show us the basis for their beliefs. Uh-huh. Jordy goes up to you. You brushed over it and because, frankly, why not? Picard interrogates the guy on the ready room. Sunad shows up with his big choke ship. Yeah. They head out of the ready room. And Jordy's Jordy there comes, waiting. Comes down from engineering <laughs> to the ready room corridor on the bridge to thank John for his confidence. That's right. That he knows comes from that energy pulse that he got a month ago and hasn't thought about since. <laughs> and, and he's the most popular in the office or whatever. <laughs> right. And he's as good or better. <laughs> and uh, he's the talk of the office? Troy, Troy shows up after... 30 minutes she's not in the first 30 sure she shows up at the end and she's just like they're afraid of john and now they're in the fucking briefing room and picard's like i also believe that john's energy transpulses have broader ramifications why he killed Worf. take it personal please 
Beverly has a spiritual connection to her patient that she's also romantically interested in. Yeah, that's... Uh, can we talk about no, those never ethics? Clear, she, never clear what that means or why. By the way, the nerve. She goes into that conference room and talk about what's right and wrong. Meanwhile, she's trying to fucking bone down with one of her patients. Yeah. Come on. She takes him on a tour of the ship right to get soused. Directly uh-huh. to ten... Only stop yeah. ten forward. He's pretty weak. It'll probably only take one or two of these things to get him real fucking messed up. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's going to steal his virtue. That's right. Uh, Ted Forward is for taking people's advantages. I heard that about it. I, yeah. I heard she was going to take his, uh, his sweet virginity, too. John Doe's been on board for a whole month. The best Wesley can say about a man that he has seen heal someone with energy. Yep. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. that he, he likes him. I like him. He says to his mom after asking a bunch of questions Again, about if they're dating. He really, really wants a new dad. He'll yeah. settle for anybody. My dad killed Worf. This episode is a big cheat where they are always telling instead of showing, mm-hmm. and they don't even tell anything. Oh, by the way, you were talking about how she took him to 10 forward. I was briefly very afraid that he was going to have to try something called a Sunday. Oh, by the way, you notice that when they go to 10 forward, he talks about how diverse it is uh-huh. there and how it's not like that on his world. Again. Though he's never met the, them. He doesn't remember them, but yeah. He doesn't matter exactly. That's a feeling that he has about his world, mm-hmm. is that no one there is allowed to be gay. That's, that's right. I mean, I, I um, saw that and I said, okay, yeah, this is definitely about being <clears throat> different. Different, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought that it's very disappointing that where you have a scene where Picard is having his big ready room after the bad guy has been fucking foaming at the mouth about uh, disruptive influences. Mm. And he doesn't say anything about, you know, I recognize that language. Yeah. Or like. When people talk like this, it's usually not because the guy's an actual criminal who did criminal crimes. Yeah, if you're going to stand up for him, point out why. Right. Yeah, like, here, you hit, this is the language of repression. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, a piece of sci-fi where none of the characters in the show recognize the sci-fi work that's being done. Yep. Right? Yeah. Uh, I gave it a three. Okay. I think... Uh, this is not one of the better executed episodes. No, frankly. again, we are in filler season. Comes to an end next week, but woof. <coughs> uh, what about world building flipping it around? Oh, uh, seven. Damn. So, uh, first of all, the first half is uh, 24th century medicine, right? Sure. Brain pacemakers, laser chairs, custom viruses, motor assist bands. Uh, we learn we see new parts of the ship. Sick Bay has a room four, right? Uh, okay. that did we see that shuttle control booth that's only accessible from outside. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. Huh? And also, if you're gonna make it so that it's only accessible from outside, maybe you should also make it airtight. Why does it need to have an exposed railing? Is someone gonna jump down there? Only- that's a variable gravity area. <laughs> Somebody might get thrown down there. Um. <clears throat> but this episode continues one of the themes of TNG, mm-hmm. which is that a humanity that has solved all of its current problems is close to godhood, right? <laughs> yes. When you think about the Zalconians, the bad guys in this one, uh-huh. uh, every time they're described, they're described as having the same technology as we have. And it's true, right? and those guys are evolving right in front of our fucking eyes. <laughs> right. They have... Uh, the weapons are phasers. Yeah. 
right? They are phaser discharges that are being used. The ship comes roaring in at warp 9.72. That's fast, yep. but Enterprise can go that speed. Yep. Uh, Worf says their weapons are comparable. Yep. They do choke the whole crew, yeah. but they do do that with a piece of equipment. Yes, right? it's technology. It's, a, it's just a slightly different weapon that they have. It's a bad guy weapon. But but these guys are on the cusp of becoming energy beings. Yeah. Uh, it's what Q is afraid of, and also Wesley is kind of humanity's John Doe, right? I mean, I don't know how much they know about that yet. They have what the Traveler told them. Yep. Which is basically, keep an eye on this guy. Oh, yeah. They don't know it yet, yeah. but it is happening in TNG. Yeah. The idea is, hey, we're we're almost there. I wonder if the we're Q were watching these Zalconians. play with Q and all these other idiots, right? I wonder if Q's ever paid them a visit. Or I wonder if they're a lost cause. They're already evolving. Anyway, here's another very powerful entity Enterprise won't turn to next week when the Borg attack. But I don't know if they know how to get in touch with him, but like they don't try to reach the Traveler either. That's true. They never try to do anything. <laughs> nah. They're quitters. They're like Scotty. Yes. They de- well, they certainly never try to call in any favors. Anyway, that's uh, that's pretty big. It's reinforced a lot of times in TNG, and this is one of them, and uh, I gave it a seven. Oh, that's a big score. Huh. You know, I had only given this a two in world building, <laughs> and now I'm thinking about it. I didn't put in any of the medical technology stuff because I wasn't sure what to make of any of it. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot of. Uh, she says to some technician, "We have to design a custom virus." She's <laughs> like, "What?" And that guy doesn't go, "Huh?" I never did that. Do you know how to do that? Because I don't. Were you expecting me to do it? I just inject people with morphine when they're dying. What are you talking about? Look, honestly, I, this is the military. I kind of treat this as like a nine to five. Like I don't. <laughs> I don't really know how to do that. Sorry. You could ask someone else, though. Maybe someone else knows. Um, huh. I mean, I guess these guys are evolving. I hadn't considered whether or not I should reflect on whether that means anything about humanity because of their similar level of technological achievement. Hmm. Let's give it a four. Because those things are important. I just don't know what to make of them. I'm confused by them. That's tricky. Um, let's see what else. Zeta Gellis Star Cluster unmapped. That's what they're around for. Uh, again, the only thing I had for medical was whatever Beverly stuck to this old boy's head. Um, and then I had Beverly has a generous staff this week. Normally she don't have nobody, but yeah, uh, this guy's crazy. Oh, she's still the only doctor. Yes, but she's got those blue unis just hanging out in there this week. Uh, this guy's crazy cell regeneration. He's evolving into a glowing green man, like the guys who sit behind the um, sit behind the glass at hockey games. I think we've described him adequately. <laughs> okay. The Greendale human being is much better. <laughs> the, um, the term John Doe exists into the 24th century. I don't know. Everyone seems a little bit amused by it. It feels like something she dug up. But they don't go, why is she calling it that? What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, the Zalconians are pretty advanced. Um, so yeah, let's go to four. Um, I'll flip into characterization here. Jordy and Worf browing out in 10 forward is surprisingly watchable. But why is yeah. Jordy such a tongue-tied freak? <laughs> it's very bad what they do to him. I mean, they did it. They started it in Booby Trap, right? The Coco No-No scene <laughs> was the beginning of the end for him. <laughs> 
big and this was an opportunity for them to walk it back to not have him be this way going forward but they kind of forget about him and then they think it's funny to do what if Leah Brahms really showed up yeah. and then we see Aquiel which is just trash uh, yeah his romances are not they're not great um, I thought maybe it was because this lady rejected him on the holodeck 12 episodes ago or whatever and that was just in his head but Man, everybody knows Jordy got shot down by Christy Henshaw, by the way. Worf, Riker, uh, definitely Wesley. Wesley for sure knows. <laughs> Just everybody fucking knows about that. Did he tell them? He shouldn't oh, volunteer yeah. that. For sure, when he the same time he told Wesley about Leah Brahms, he started it with... <laughs> So, I had just had this really bad date with Christy Henshaw. I was kind of in my shit about it. I was all in my feelings. Eh. And then, yes, I fell for a hologram. And he didn't yes, know. Yes, I fell in love with a hologram, and I tell everybody about he it. He didn't know sweet Wesley was going to turn on him like that. <laughs> um, they don't, by the way, they don't have a scene together this week, so I guess... Uh, they're not even pretending anymore like they were last pretending. week. Last yeah. week, they pretended real hard. This week he's friends with Worf again. <laughs> Worf, uh, Worf doesn't want to talk about working ten forward, and he gets kind of pissy about it. Then he takes credit for Jordy's newfound alien confidence with the ladies. Uh, Worf has every single good scene this week. Is Worf? Yeah, he did all the good joke stuff. Uh, O'Brien's kayaking is another thing everyone knows about. Wesley comes in and is just like, "Ah, you still think you can kayak, you lumpy old turd." Also, Wesley's uh, the the boy genius fucking walks into sick bay yep. and just hits people. <laughs> well, you know, like uh, he, he probably came O'Brien. here. He probably came here in his neoprene because he's got a sore tooth. So I could just hit him in the shoulder. <laughs> no, he heard O'Brien came to sick bay and he's like, "I love fucking, I love just going in there and bullying O'Brien because he I can't." Love it. I love beating up on that Irish piece of shit. <laughs> he can't do shit. The other day I walked up and just punched him right in the gut <coughs> for no reason. He just said, thank you, sir. <laughs> um, Beverly has got the nether tingles for John Doe. Wesley is excited he's going to have a new dad. This time a magical alien like the Traveler. Uh, it was a five for me. Uh, yeah. Um, if you don't love... Worf giving Jordy dating advice mm-hmm. and telling Jordy and Data to shut up and drink. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you. That's right. This is still his, this is a good season one. Worf, his scenes are so good. Mm-hmm. When he tells Jordy that words come later, it's the scent that first speaks of love. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> He's very poetic. He's extremely poetic. Um, did you mention Doctor Crusher? I just said there's that, not a lot to I say. I just said She's she had fine. the nether tingles. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I thought her. Uh, she has a she has a weird insistence at the end that she gave John life, and that's a little motherly for this semi romantic arc she's in with him. Especially because earlier she said it had nothing to do with her. It was his magical cells. Yeah. Yeah. So make up your mind, lady. Uh. Picard is only in this one this week to do plot. He certainly doesn't, as you said, he doesn't like, he doesn't do any soul searching or anything. And I get that Jordy is supposed to be more confident now, Mm. but he didn't actually seem different 
enough from Coco No No Jordy <laughs> for me to understand why Christy likes him now. I, maybe that um, flash that went into his head is just emitting something. Like it seemed like if for his holodeck date. He had all the ideas. He planned the whole thing out. It was not good. It didn't work. Yeah. The guy with the violin and everything. But it wasn't like, uh, he's not confident. No. He was, that was a sweater of a confident man. That's right. You cannot wear that sweater unless you have a certain amount of confidence. Yeah. Wearing what appeared to be dress slacks and then pushing them up over your knees. That's a confident man. She, um, she couldn't say he didn't try. For sure. Right. So, I don't know. So I don't really understand what changed, but... Um, but I can't really deduct that many points. Cold Open Jordy is an amazing nightmare. <laughs> LeVar Burton. Jesus. That's, that's a powerful scene when she goes to talk to him. Yeah, have things been in engineering? Fine. They've been fine. Where do you think Troy was the rest of this month? Yeah. Yeah not having relationship talks with Beverly in the mirror room. Man, I don't know where she... I don't know where anyone was for a month. She just fucking shows up all of a sudden. Look, Jordy fucking gets caught tonguing in the fucking turbo lift, and that's the first thing I knew that we'd had a month go by. I didn't (laughs) even notice that she said that in the sickbay. Yeah. So I don't know where anyone was. Uh, So at the end of the day, I really liked Worf... um, I didn't think there was actually that much character work in this very slow-moving episode. I agree. I gave it a four. What about uh, quick ones? Uh, I'd be weird if this one didn't generate any, huh? It's TNG. Um, I, what's up with this away team? Jordy. They found a crashed ship. Yep. They called Jordy. In case they need to fix that ship for some reason. Data and Dr. Crusher. Why Jordy? Why not Worf? Yeah, right? Worf just gets to keep drinking. Maybe that's why they tried to bring him along. He's like, nah. Oh, um, I know why they brought Jordy along. Because they needed to hook up a thing to his brain. <laughs> It'd be great if they did know that in advance. And they're like, only one person's dumb enough. Well, There's only one sucker on this ship that we can use. She says John Doe is not stable enough to transport. Why would you have to be stable to transport? Yeah, if we're just going to mix up your bits anyway. In case a big clay worm bites you and you go into shock? <laughs> well, can't say it hasn't happened. Why does, she, uh, why does she need to stabilize him for transport? They beam people out of exploding ships after the explosion a thousand times. That feels like a world building question to me. I don't know. It seems like it should be unstable. <laughs> yeah. Those are unstable scenarios. Crusher wants to design a virus to bring dire straits to this guy's environment. I heard that, yep. Um, Crusher, crush that guy's corporation with a mild touch. When Worf's proud of Geordi when he goes and takes Christy to the Arboretum, does he think Geordi did the good stink? <laughs> yeah, he smelled him earlier. Okay. <laughs> he smelled him. Uh, that, I'm telling you, that light that went into his head emitted everything everyone wants out of Geordi. So Worf smells him good. That lady thinks he's a real fucking romantic catch. And I don't know, Picard probably thought he did a very good job or something. Uh, It's very disappointing when John Doe says to Beverly, thank you for my life. It's even more disappointing (laughs) that it's not the first time a character in Star Trek The Next Generation has said earnestly to another character, 
Thank you for my life. Second time in season three. Thank you what's, for my life. What's going on with Star Trek writers? Probably the same person. They forgot they wrote that great line. The dialogue in this episode is just awful, by the way. Yeah, it's not. it really isn't good. There's a lot of real trash dialogue. Uh, is Wesley trying to play matchmaker? Yeah, he misses having a man in the house. He had dinner. He's having dinner with Crusher now. Now that he's a full ensign and he's going to be like, so, uh, so you guys fucking. <laughs> he, uh, he made sure to order up some coffee and croissant. He's just doing what Picard taught him. Do you think Riker has been with Christy Henshaw? Uh, okay. He definitely so knows who she is. For sure knows who she is. I couldn't tell whether he knew who she was and that smile came over his face because he remembers what happened to Jordy. Or if he's been dipping it. <laughs> if maybe he dipped it and quit it. Mm. I don't know. Mm. But it could be. Um, we, knew, we we have to track Riker's confidence because Menasha Troy, Troy, sorry about that, I didn't say the dumb pun, was last week. <laughs> That's right. And we know he definitely got a boost. Yeah, that's true. So maybe he fucked uh, her like earlier that month. I assume whatever happened had to be recently enough. Maybe she just, you know, who knows what she does on this ship. Right. Maybe it just fucking filtered down to her that he was on a date with Troy last week. <laughs> and that's enough. And she's like, what? The f- We've been fucking for a solid <laughs> month. What the hell? And now she's at. Yeah, we have and never seen her, her in a uniform, so we don't know what her what her deal is. I don't know. Her, her pudgy Asian friend is like, <laughs> mm, well. You didn't want to go out with Jordy. He's probably available. Because she actually likes Jordy? I don't know. Whatever. Ooh, that'd be cool. getting deep. Yeah. Uh, I owe you $5 because you did not describe John as becoming like Ironheart. (laughs) You were sure that I was going to? I I wrote it down. I am becoming. Yeah. Moesha's dad is what he's becoming. Yeah. Um... Another possible explanation I thought of is that this is a this is a dumb sexual game that she and Riker are playing. Ooh, where he's telling her, you know, go uh, go hit on Jordy. Wow, you are you're you have so many notes about this. Well, I have a lot of thought. The, the Christie had it's so dumb that they made it be someone we've seen him strike out with before. I guess that's how we had to know how confident he had become. Yeah. Well, no, we saw the cold open. That could have been anyone. And then we would have been like, oh, he ate so much shit in that cold open. <laughs> he beefed it worse than Beefhead. <laughs> he did He did the worst you could do, maybe. He seemed mad at her. <laughs> he, he, he quit on life. It was over when he walked out of that room. If he didn't get that thing flashed into his brain, that was his last mission. He was, for sure, he was going into Sorry. the nacelle later. I'll rephrase it. That was his final mission. <laughs> That's right. Some fucking rocks were going to drop on his head. Like, that was it for him. Yeah. He was stealing Drisky. Yes. Um, I hope. I, let's please make that a term that means something. Yes. If someone's stealing Drisky. Uh, I gave best actor to uh, Worf in the cold open. Super good. Yeah. Uh, worst actor? I just don't believe O'Brien is a kayaker. Isn't it a weird choice? It's an odd choice, and he didn't sell it, frankly. Shouldn't he just say he got drunk and fell over? It hurt his shoulder? <laughs> you know. You know what happened. I uh, ran, I ran into a wall. <laughs> Bloody wall. 
Um, I'm in a fight club. <laughs> it's me and the other me and the other non-coms. <laughs> Wesley makes us do it. Do you have some quick hitters? Just a few. Again, that the medical scenes were abnormally gross for TNG. Um, I got some DS9 music when this guy was walking around the sick bay. I don't know if you noticed that. It was almost the DS9 theme again. Uh, boy, when he's very proud of walking around the sick bay in a scene that actually kind of reminds me now of Lol. Yeah, when Lol gets up and walks around and says soft or whatever. Yeah. But not as good. Not nearly as good. No, no. Listen. Soft. That was, that was masterful. <laughs> soft. Uh, I had worst actor candidate Beverly. The whole medical staff has commented on it. Yeah. What? <laughs> Again, the dialogue is very bad. Hold on a second. What do you mean? And what did the what did that inflection mean? I don't understand what you're talking about. That he's attractive? That he's charming? What was this? Um, how did this guy learn the shuttle launch sequence from his little bed in sick bay? He remembered it, man. Like he's becoming. <laughs> I understand. He's he's definitely becoming. Uh the rest I threw into everything. Uh, he's had a month. It took Khan about two days to read all of Enterprise's manuals. Well, he had a, a real treasonous lady to help him. <laughs> she did. Marla McGivers? Yeah. yeah. What a bitch. Fuck her. All right. What was three of this week? What was or three last week, I guess? Yeah. Third place last week was Voyager. Oh, God. This week we watched Revulsion. Oh, boy. There's so many more of us than there are of them And each target when I miss the mark Indulgent, I know, but you only get so many of these where you have a song that spells out the title. Yeah. <laughs> All right, God, I can't believe I have to do this. Okay. Um, a hologram is doing some shady business, cleaning up bodies and stuff. And then he sends a distress signal saying uh, he's all alone on his ship and needs assistance. And he's like phasing in and out and shit. Because I guess his program ain't working so good. Credits. TP is telling a story about a racist prank he pulled on Tuvok, and everybody loves it very much. I guess uh, Tuvok's being promoted. I hope this was during the time when he was pretending to be arch enemies. Oh, when he was okay. I thought you meant last week when he was pretending to be his arch enemy. No, you remember that yes, terrible the slow arc burn. Where, yes, exactly. The TP slow burn, where it was all a big trick, or it wasn't, and they changed it last minute. Who knows? Um. Wasn't Tuvok demoted in season one when he did that thing, or am I not remembering that correctly? Uh, I, okay, yeah, so I had to look it up. It turns out that he was never officially demoted. It's just he was wearing Lieutenant Commander oh, insignia just did a for whoops. the first half of the first season. Even, But apparently everyone always referred to him as Lieutenant. No one ever addressed him as Commander. And then halfway through, they just put him in Lieutenant pins. Ah, okay. And it happens that it was like two episodes after he did the treason, so I assumed he'd been demoted. I thought he had two. Okay. 
anyway, he's finally being promoted to get that half pip back. He's getting it back. Um. Uh, anyway, TP and Balana make out a bit. TP is named the new nurse. Neelix is officially ambassador now. Harry's going to be working closely with Seven now, which he seems nervous about. There's a lot happening in this party scene. <clears throat> and then they get that distress call from the creepy hologram, which puts the doctor in a fucking tizzy, because he gets to meet another hologram. Yeah. Uh, Janeway's going to send him to help uh, while they go do another different thing I wasn't paying attention to. Oh, that ambassador shit that they were talking about with Neelix. Okay. Well, I think. Balana's going to go with the doctor, so he won't be going alone. Uh, boy, believe it or not, what I have to cut back and forth with is... Uh, Harry Kim. Harry is as stuttering and afraid of Seven as Jordy was of Christy Henshaw this week. Um, that's basically what happens in this little cutaway. Balana and Schmullis spar a bit on the way to save. Yeah, I don't home. know if you even mentioned this that they've been assigned to revamp Astrometrics. Oh yeah, that's the job that Harry's working with Seven on. Right. Yeah. Uh, when Balana and Schmalis get to that ship, they find it in pretty bad shape. The hologram who sent the distress signal turns on, and they chat with him and learn his mission. Um, he's the only one left, and the whole crew is dead. Meanwhile, Harry Kim asks Seven what she does for fun in Cargo Bay 2, because he's a fucking jerk. Yeah. Then he puts his hands all over her when she gets too close to getting zapped in a Jeffrey's tube. And I hated this very much. Back on the busted ship, the hologram is in awe of Schmullis and his mobile emitter. He gets to be free and uh, travel and stuff. Schmullis tries to radicalize him so he can go back and demand more rights. Um, but he can't see the obvious. This guy has gone peculiar, like when Rimmer was a hologram with that big fat beehive hairdo. Um, he's wiping up spilled... Please... God, I wish we wouldn't talk about better Red Dwarf episodes. <laughs> no, they're now all I've better. Gotta, now I've just got to think about Mr. Flibble. They're all, in at least in certain seasons, they're all better. Um, <clears throat> He's wiping up spilled blood all over the place, and then he tells Balana all about how she nibbled when she eats, because he's watching her eat. Uh, and speaking of Red Dwarf, by the way, this guy has got strong first Crichton vibes. Oh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, but first Crichton, when he went off, he went off in a different way. Um, yeah. And then he then he talks about his soul, and then he breaks down and calls Balana a filthy animal and a lot of other stuff. It's pretty bad news. Balana goes to the doctor and tells him about this crazy fucker and that he's been lying about the lower decks being totally irradiated and saying no one can go down there. The doctor defends him as a fellow hologram. Uh, as Balana leaves to go snoop around, this dude shows up to show the doctor his great fish that he made, his hollow fish. Yeah, he's got a pet fish. It's going great, by the way. <laughs> it's definitely what, what everyone wants. <sighs> Meanwhile, Seven and Harry are working on getting some Borg memory out of a device of some kind. She uh, cuts her hand, and then they go to sickbay, and TP is there because he's the new nurse, and he sucks as always, but he fixes her hand. <laughs> But then Harry's like, leave my girlfriend alone, man. And then TP continues to suck. We move on to the next scene. Schmollis is keeping the hologram busy while Balana skulks around below decks looking for his primary matrix so she can shut him down and maybe repair him. Yeah. 
At this point, I don't think she cares either way. She finds some corpses of the presumably the crew and starts to access his matrix, which sets off an alarm or something. He beams down there and once again does a Kalima on this bitty, but um, <laughs> she manages to shut him down before huh, probably passing out. Uh, back to Kim. He uh, puts in his log that he has the hots for seven. So that happened fast. That's cool. Um, That's so much worse than that. He puts in his log that after talking with Tom, he's decided that it would be a bad idea to pursue a romantic relationship with Seven. Cut to anyway. He, anyway, <laughs> he, he calls. He invites he calls her? her to the mess hall in the middle of the night to work on something. He invites her and asks her out immediately. <laughs> you sound so disappointed. Who wrote this? He invites her for a midnight cram session, dims the fucking lights, and tells her he'll take her to the holodeck like a fucking dumpster person. She catches on, I think. This is my theory. And goes, okay, bro. Uh, By the way, it's the best theory, and it is all. she also sort of played it that way. She goes, okay, bro, let's fuck then. That's what you want, right? To fuck? And because he's a coward, he stutters and backs out. Yeah. He's not mad at himself yet, like Jordy, but he (laughs) he backs down. Uh, Schmalis wakes up Balana, but before she can finish her work on the hologram, he shows up again and gives her a hammer to the head or something. He also damages the doctor's mobile emitter. Then he chases Balana around real slow like a dumb villain until she zaps him with a like a loose cord she found lying around, <laughs> which uh, destabilizes his matrix somehow. <laughs> it's Chekhov's cord. It came up earlier. <laughs> she fixes the mobile emitter for the doctor. And so he's back online, and, um, I don't know, I guess they just get out of there. <laughs> they just leave. <laughs> I don't think they do anything else on that ship, and I don't really blame them. I mean, she took a hammer to the head, like, it's time to go. <clears throat> oh, he crushed one of her ventricles in her heart? Oh, that's what... She's the, gotta... That was a Kali go business. To yeah, 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 you need yeah. sick bay for that. Um, Harry begs Chakotay to be relieved of all seven responsibilities. Uh, Chaco reveals that Seven already spoke to him and that they make a really good team, so they're partners now. He's just gonna have to work with Seven forever. Chaco laughs, because who cares what happens to either of those two people, right? Seven or he Harry? He does not. Yeah, he does not. Yeah, he doesn't give a That's shit. That's correct. That's the end of the episode. <sighs> mm, I wrote, Schmollis does a joke that no one thinks is funny, the end. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Where he pretends to be real mad at Tom about cleaning up and then yes. says, nah, I'm gonna, I've am decided I'm going to lighten up. And then he, and then drops, he drops stuff on hyper. the ground and goes yeah. and sits at his desk. Yeah, it wasn't amazing. Oh. Hey, what was this about? Uh, maybe something like sympathy isn't trust. Like, I don't know. There are themes of prejudice all throughout this episode. Because the guy like, keeps complaining about it. The this bad guy. Isomorph killed all his disgusting crew because they were prejudiced against him. Seems like everybody's prejudiced against everybody. He's going to do the same thing to Bolana. Mm-hmm. Schmollis is way too trusting of this guy. Yep. Even at, especially after Bolana tells him he's a real creep because he's another hollow man. Yeah. Tom's objection to Harry and Seven dating is that she was a Borg who assimilated a lot of people, a lot of people, and not she's nine. Yeah, well, his first objection is that. His second objection is that she's um, she was a Borg a month ago, and who knows what she's like? Maybe she doesn't even know. Right, which is much closer to the point. It's closer to the point <laughs> for much sure. Much closer to the point. Maybe don't try to date her. She just woke yeah, maybe- up. Maybe give her a break, huh? She um she just woke up from being a robot for twenty years. Maybe just give her a break. 
and also, also she wants to go back to being a robot yeah, still. She still wants this to be a This is something robot. that we have forced on her already. So maybe just don't date her. The uh the problem with this episode is that there's just psycho in space and they weren't they weren't trying to do anything. I agree. They were just trying to do it the horror one. So I gave it a one for themes. For themes. I gave it a zero. I'm not going to fight you on it. Yeah, I, I don't know what they wanted us to walk away with, really. I don't think they had a point. <clears throat> this guy may have been mistreated by his crew, but we'll never fucking know. Maybe he just went crazy and killed them. We know for sure that he murdered the six of them and hid their bodies, yeah. so it's not necessarily clear whether he was telling the truth or not. That's what I'm saying. Harry tried something I would consider akin to Statch, but... Oh yeah, it was Statch. For sure it's Statch. But he's so feeble that Seven scared him away. Yeah. So I don't even know what to do with that either. So I'm just out. I just gave it. A, I gave it nothing. Um, flipping around to execution. Uh, this guy did a good job of playing creepy, nasty hologram, but I didn't need another weird horror episode, and we don't well, learn this anything. This is our boy Loomis from Carpenter Street. This is our boy Loomis and fake Romulan. I don't remember. Also, what, the fake Romulan from the Dias cast. I don't remember what his name. His was. name was Colonel Lovok. All right. Um. The Harry plot just reinforces how shitty everybody on Voyager is, but again, what did we learn? Yeah, nothing. It's a two for me. I I gave it to you... I gave it a couple more points than that because uh, I thought that at least the guy was creepy. Yes, he was creepy. Like, <clears throat> all they were trying to do was a dumb horror thing, and they, they did it. He's creepy. Um, Seven spends the whole first 20 minutes sending very strong child signals. Yeah. She's super frustrated at having to do things by the book and having her work checked up on. She can't consider that she might have done something wrong, though she did. Yep. Uh, her reaction to being cut is very childlike. Yeah, she's uh, damaged. So, uh, well, so one of two things. No, I mean, literally, she says, I'm damaged. She just says, I'm damaged. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. She just says, I'm damaged. It's it's there on the surface. That's right. Uh, either Harry Kim can't see that, or that's what is attracting him mm, to her. I love to think either about way, it. Either way, he's trash. Yes. Harry Kim is trash, and he's canceled. That's right. And also Garrett Wang, because he's still pissed off to this day that he didn't get to bang seven. He didn't get to have a love scene with the hot lady on Voyager. Garrett Wang knew that was his last acting job. And he wanted once to make out with an adult lady. That's all he wanted. I, so, hey, bro. She still doesn't eat solid food. <laughs> That's true. Do you get it? She was grossed out do by you, the idea of it last week. Do you understand the symbolism? <laughs> do you not know you're in science fiction and you should be paying attention to symbolism? Yeah, I don't think he knows that. I think that yeah. might be it. Harry Kim doesn't know he's in sci-fi. And then... um. All that setup work at the top during Tuvok's promotion, hmm. doesn't it make it seem like this episode comes before Nemesis? Like in Nemesis, we get Neelix acting as the ambassador. Also, they explicitly say this is three days after Day of Honor. Oh. Doesn't seem like there's room for Nemesis to fit in there. Yeah. Um... And there's something about this explicitly being a little side trip that Bellana and Schmollis are on that reduces the stakes of the horror side. Like, yeah, they're alone there together and Voyager isn't there to help them. But also, we don't care about these people. <laughs> we don't care about any of them, literally. 
<laughs> the show has created a cast of people that I don't care about. I gave it a four for execution, but it's not a four. It's only a three. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. My all of my two points were because the guy was creepy. That was it. I, he did. He was creepy. Good for him. Hey, they also didn't do any world building, huh? <laughs> well, this Voyager's specialty. Oh, wait, no. They never learned how to do it. Uh, I guess Tom Paris must be the second most qualified medic on the ship after the doctor. And that's wild because they've been in space for three years. Yeah, why is that? They really had everything banked on Kess. How is that even possible, by the way? Uh, it doesn't make sense. They didn't train one other nurse. I mean, they just in... were waking up Cass every time someone had a headache. You're saying even just from the careers of all these people, like he was in jail for a while. You know what well, I mean? It, like, it's it's all from the training that Janeway made him do. That's what I'm saying. Like, I guess no one gets medical training. Not even like co- combat first aid. It's it, it is weird that he is somehow the most qualified. Like Tuvok must have some for, some Tuvok's basic been first around aid for a hundred years, right? He's old. But, like, but he's got other stuff to do. He's a whole lieutenant commander now. Well, possibly the same rank as Chakotay. I thought Paris was the pilot of the ship, but... Yeah, yep, 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 yep. I right. Know. I guess it turns out that's easy. Look, if they don't care, I don't care. Um, Boy, did I have anything else? <laughs> oh, they're doing a facelift on astrometrics. I guess that's where Seven is going to end up hanging out most of the time. It's better, probably a better set than sad, but dark cargo bay. But I'm not giving points for it yet, mm. so... Um, it's just a one. Uh, let's see. The, the, a Delta Quadrant hologram. Pretty sure they've seen those before. This guy's... This creeper's from the planet Soros, I think he said. Yeah, but it's spelled S-E-R-O-S according uh, to the caption, so I don't know. Seven has some kind of weird exoskeleton on her hand that allows her to, like, put her hand into dangerous shit, I guess. That's what she says. Boy, once she has spoken about it on screen, she probably doesn't get to take that glove off the rest of her run, huh? (laughs) She probably does have to put that on every fucking day. That sucks. Seven claims that she would have regenerated from her hand laceration within seconds as a drone. Is that true, though? I didn't get the sense the individual drones did a lot of that. Well, we know for sure that once you're dead, who gives a shit? Yeah, they just, um... Let's take the five pieces of <laughs> gold off of your body and you're done. You just leave it. None there. of the rest of that even has recycling value. Yeah, so I don't know about that, but that's what she says. Uh, 59.2% of this little freighter's power went to life support. I think they have to walk back the horror of being a Borg drone so that it's we at all care about the her mixed feelings about this right uh maybe and you think that because they would regenerate yeah something? they have to make it they have to make it seem like it wasn't so oh like that was a cool power she had before that right, she misses exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there has to be a reason she misses it there has to be some upside other than just i didn't have to think about things and decide and what being i'm gonna a part have of a lunch. hive mind is kind of a tough one for the audience to get into not one time was like what are we having for dinner tonight i don't fucking know <laughs> yeah listen i hate that too i get it <laughs> Uh, if you zap a hologram with some electricity... Some, sometimes Katie wants pizza hamburger, and <laughs> that's not... It doesn't exist, and you can't invent it because she wants an impossible thing. That's right. And she knows that, but that's still what she wants. Boy, Matt, if it was just a hive mind of you and Katie, you guys would have a lot of problems, I think. You know what I mean? Well, our, our minds are not... <laughs> it would be... Are not very similar. Be in constant conflict over pizza hamburger. That would be that weird shape that Jordy tried to show the Borg. Uh, the idea of pizza. It would, by the way, incepted by yourself. 
your own also, hive mind. Listen, I get it. Everyone has a wife. Everyone, <laughs> Everyone's relationship is different. But like, she always asks me what the weather's going to be like if we're going out to do something. And you're always sort of like, hey, why don't you just check? It's like, hey, we have the same phone. By the way, happy anniversary. Uh, uh, it's tomorrow, but yeah, thank you. Well, I don't know when this is going to come out. So. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> it probably is today <laughs> when this comes out. Yeah. Uh, if you zap a hologram with some electricity, their matrix destabilizes. I don't understand why, but it happens. Uh, well, at least with that particular sparking thing that apparently is very safe for Bolana to be around. I don't know. I don't know. She was not worried about it at all, but she did warn him about it. Uh, yeah, one feels pretty fair. It's, look, it's not what they were trying to do. No. Um, what about characterization, huh? Start with this. TP sucks sweaty ass. It's not good. It has been three days since Bellana and TP's space adventure, and they are both so extremely immature that they haven't spoken since. Also. Yep. She told him she was in love with him. Mm-hmm. He's the new doctor's assistant. He throws that hologram that Harry fell in love with right in his fucking face, which is rude, especially considering he said it at the time that it happens to everyone. Yeah. So he's just being hurtful for no reason. Yeah. Uh, Janeway got dressed down by Tuvok in front of senior officers the first time she met him. She remembers this. Always. <laughs> she yeah. can talk about it like it's a joke, but it's not a joke. It's not a joke. She remembers it entirely. It shouldn't be worn ironically. This is Her telling this story is a warning to everyone there yes. that Tuvok does not have your back. That's right, exactly. Uh, Harry Kim is scared and horny about working with Seven. He tries... Fuck, I think I wrote that exact thing. <laughs> he tries hard to get with her, even though she's like a month old or whatever, and has only read about sex on Wikipedia. Harry's a squid. Yeah. Neelix is now officially ambassador. Not sure Janeway can do that, but who cares out here? I mean, no one can tell her no. The doctor tells Bellana that she has a good bedside manner for a Klingon. Yeah. Tired of the casual racism. At the end, he's like, "I'm not with that guy. I love uh, organics. I'm." Well, we know he. We know he has a problem with Klingons. We. Oh, that's right. He, yeah, he does. We've oh, seen the show. Oh man, I should have given a continuity point for his racism. Well, not, I mean, no, because it's bad. Oh, that's right. I should take away a continuity point. Probably. Um, anyway, at the end, he's like, "I'm not with that guy. I love organics. I'm one of those people who's like an illegal immigrant and a trumper." He says yeah. those words, which is weird. Yeah, it is odd. Who knew? Seven says she's not really into sex yet, but she'll give it a go. Hell, she'll Trump try was anything. Just a guy, Trump was just a guy who introduced off-brand Playboy videos and showed up in the <laughs> WWF in those days. <laughs> it's true. For wonderful days. God, we really didn't know. We thought the world was going to become so excellent. No, no, it's those homeless colonies in that one episode. I guess we kind of knew. Oh, yeah, we were scared of Microsoft. All right, I guess we were pretty scared. Um, anyway, I'm convinced uh, Seven just did that as a way to make Harry piss himself. I hope that that's true. The other alternative is that uh, she just she's very naive and assumes that she's ready to handle yeah adult sexual relationships. Like she thinks she's got this. Like in the same way, she didn't think she needed her work checked, and it's. It, it, if that's true, it's just even sadder and more naive. Well, I gave it a three, but if it's that, I'm definitely reducing points. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a three for me. 
Uh, that's one more than I gave it. Uh, Janeway basically absent from this episode. Yeah. Ch- Chicote and Tuva get one scene each. Bellana spends the whole episode under a threat from a creep, um, but it's not about her. No. Tom Paris gives Harry at least inconsistent advice. Like, the advice is right. <laughs> but the hey, reasoning is off. maybe not there. But, like, hey, hey, buddy, I don't think you're ready to handle Borg women. Yeah. Borg women aren't a thing. That's right. That's nothing. <laughs> it's true. Talk about how she's a baby. But not on this ship, dude, where Kess was two. Uh, obviously, Harry Kim is garbage. Uh, Seven has a couple of pretty interesting human moments. I think that this episode could have been if it if it didn't have the dumb Harry Kim's got a crush on her and then she orders him to take off his clothes thing. I didn't say it, but she says that to him. That's what she says. When um, she, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and it is it's so it's played as if uh, he's not ready for an aggressive woman, <sighs> right? Yeah. Which it is frankly probably true given everything we've seen of Harry Kim so far. I don't think he he's ready for anything. He definitely was pretty juvenile about all those ladies being into him on Planet You're Special. <laughs> when all but, those women uh, turned on him and beat him with sticks. And then they hit him with sticks. But, uh, oh man. Star Trek writers, wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, but like the stuff where she's not accustomed to making a mistake and getting cut and stuff, that's all useful stuff for Ark and it's just a little bit poisoned by being in this episode. Yes. Um... If she was just shutting him down, good, but that's a kind of an insight into Harry Kim that she sh- probably shouldn't have yet. Yeah. And also, if that's just a, if it's like a fun joke that she's doing, that's definitely out of character, so it's a little odd either way. It shouldn't have been in here. The Doctor sympathizes a lot with the um, the isomorph. I, I don't know if he has a name, by the way. Uh, I didn't I didn't write one down. Yeah. For the first eh, 40 minutes. Then he gets taken out of action. But we don't wrap up with anything that feels like... That tells us how Schmollis feels about the guy at the end. Like, whether they should try to save him. Whether he thinks he was still a victim of abuse from the crew. Mm-hmm. Like, it basically, it's as if Schmollis and Balan have agreed not to talk about it. Think of how many points this show could get if someone just had a wrap-up conversation in the end. At the end of every Voyager... And just said, here are some things we can take away from this. Yeah. But no one All ever right, does. Uh, I've, we're doing mandatory debriefings now. That's because right. we're not learning our lessons. Yes. And we're not talking things through. And people are making the same mistakes that other people are making. So yeah, let's we're all, doing mandatory debriefings now. Yeah, we're all going to do a nice long chat when we get back from missions. I, yeah, It's not judgmental. It's blue sky stuff. Right. We're just... It, but it's mandatory. That'd be great. And everybody... And I want you to uh, no, don't be on a, your fucking pad, everybody. And Harry, I'll this is really especially take for this you. Seriously, Harry, imagine Harry, you're, are you listening? Imagine, are you even looking at me, Harry? Harry, imagine you're in a sci-fi, if you can. <laughs> hey, live your life like you were in science fiction, and think about symbolism. <laughs> um, it's hard to say character work got done, and I'm very disappointed in one young ensign. I gave it two points. That's fair. Very fair. I'm extremely disappointed in him. I know. I, I got that from you when you were talking about him. Uh, she's a little baby, Harry. Yeah, but he, lo- he like everyone. I know she's got the tits and everything, but come <laughs> on. Oh, God, Harry. 
I know she's just a baby, but I do if, like if her anything, outfit. If anything, that should make it more off-putting. Harry, I really like her outfit, and I know she's just a baby, gosh, but I love the boobies <laughs> so much. Oh, boy. Uh, what about quick ones? Quick hitters. No one's going to mention that this old boy got demoted for light treason in season one. <laughs> yeah, that's not a story that came up. It's rare to have an episode set so concretely after another one. Three days since yeah. Voyager blew its whole warp drive out, but everything's Everything fine. Everything is 100% fine. Wait a minute. When did Nemesis happen then? <laughs> yeah, that was just a quick 36 hours in the middle, I guess. Hey, um. Hey, even in this scene where Shmala suddenly needs a new nurse, no one says the word Kess. No one says it in the whole episode. Yeah, dude, she gone. She, it's just like... She out in outer space, she gone. She's not just gone. She's shunned. She never happened. Point, right? Yeah. They don't talk about it. Again, like Congary, she comes back once, but they are not talking about her. Uh, I agree with this dude. Animals are nasty and being one sucks, but be cool. Yeah, can you not watch like, me while cool. I eat and then berate me? And uh, did they just leave that old boy out there in space, turned off forever, just uh, like waiting for someone to wander by, react to him, and get bopped with a hammer. Are they at least going to drop a beacon or something? Can't they do I, something? Uh, we'll never know. Not, not addressed. Yeah. I best actor I gave to uh, seven, but not in that one scene. And worst actor to Harry Kim being mad about Tom Paris's bedside manner. Yeah, God. Mm. Uh, I probably said most of them. Mm. Nobody in Star Trek ever like snaps a few photos, like for evidence. <laughs> No. Like, Balana should have been capturing the images of those bodies down in the basement so she'd have proof this guy did a murder in case it came up. But she doesn't do it. Just pull out your smartphone. It's true. And takes just snap a few. But no one, I've never seen anyone do it. No one Point ever it. catalogs anything. Boy, in any... In any TV show set on Earth, if someone found a dead body hidden in Dude, someone's basement... Dude, they take a hundred probably... photos. They probably would get caught by the killer because they'd have their shutter sound on on their phone. <laughs> That's right. That stupid, useless shutter noise. Uh, I don't know. I said everything else. Or maybe the sh it's set in Japan and you can't turn it off there because there's too many pervs. Oh, well, that's definitely a good policy there. I agree. For I, sure. Listen, if you're in Japan and all the phones are making shutter sounds, just deal with it. That's right. Because otherwise people are taking pictures under stall doors and stuff. So, Fucking Japan. <laughs> Um, I'm done. I'm done with this. Cool. That's cool. Second place last week was Enterprise. Rarity. Yeah. This week we watched E Squared. I'm going to try to not do 25 minutes on this, but I'm sorry there's time travel. <laughs> oh, no. All right. We start in T'Pol's quarters, maybe? It looks like them, but there's an ancient old Vulcan. Oh, it's old T'Pol. Yeah. Off to a good start. Cool. All right. Old T'Pol. A goofy-looking Vulcan comes in mm -hmm. and tells her they were unable to stop the probe from entering the vortex 
it's all happening as it did before. And she says, you must find Jonathan Archer credits. In her quarters on Enterprise, present day T-Pole is meditating when Trip comes in to suggest further neuropressure sessions. No. But she doesn't want to do it anymore. Good. And he plays it off like he's really just been worried about her. Uh, and we know she's been going through some stuff, but she doesn't tell him about any of the stuff she's been going through. No, it's not about that. But it seems like she's really, uh, really having second thoughts about this relationship and all her feelings. She sends him away, whatever. She refuses to admit there's a problem. By the way, I can't tell you how disappointed I was this far into the episode. Having seen <laughs> first old lady T-Pole and then a T-Pole and Trip scene. Yeah, then a like, T-Bowl and Trip. God Another will they or won't they? <laughs> I can't do this episode. Um, the ship is getting close to the nebula from last week, mm-hmm. but their scans show that there's at least a half a dozen of these Kovalan ships inside. The ones that Degra warned them about. And apparently Degra told them, there's like one or two of these guys. <laughs> Don't worry about it, no big deal. But there's six of them now. Probably feels that way when you have like a whole fleet of ships nearby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe they don't fuck with the Zindi. Yeah. Um, but what are you going to do? It's the only way they can get to this meeting, right? So they ionize the hull and they get ready to fly in above a layer of Metreon gas to create sensor echoes. Um, but right before they get there, another ship comes in and, uh, it's NX class and everyone thinks for a second it's Columbia, but no, when they zoom in, it's Enterprise with like extra model parts glued to it. Yeah. It looked real fucking steampunk. Yeah. Steampunk Enterprise. Loved it. And they hail them, and it's that creepy Vulcan from the cold open. Imagine a Vulcan from Florida. Yeah. Yeah, now you're talking. Yeah. And he's got an accent for some reason. Yeah, he's from Florida. You know. Uh, he identifies himself as Lorian, commander of the Enterprise. He comes aboard. They meet in the conference room. And Lorian lays it out this way. If you idiots go into the subspace corridor, you're going to get sent back in time 117 years. That's what happened the first time. Hence. We got chased on through there. Yeah. We came out in the past. We couldn't go back through the corridor. It's one way only. And then we were like, what the fuck now? Yeah. And it was still 26 years prior to first contact. And they didn't want to go back and contaminate Earth. So they turned Enterprise into a generation ship, and they've been living like weird pirates inside the nebula. Yep. The whole time you guys have been here, we've been here. Don't you appreciate all the help we gave you this whole time? (coughs) The crew had babies, and they trained their babies to take their places, and they gave them the mission to stop the initial probe that killed the 7 million people, which we know failed. Yeah. And it did fail. And now they're here with their second plan to improve Enterprise's engines with technology that they have stolen and bartered for so that they don't have to take this corridor and go back in time so that they can just fly a regular way, another safe way. Yeah, again, the the whole point is uh, going through this nebula is a shortcut because of that corridor. Right. But it's not safe. Not safe. 
<clears throat> and if you go through there, you'll go back in time. Your mission will never be completed, right? Right. Et cetera. So this is how you're going to have to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archer's skeptical, so they go down to see Phlox, and Phlox confirms that Lorian is Trip and T-Pole's kid. And his first officer, Karen Archer, turns out to be Archer's great-granddaughter by an alien that he rescued. So Good business as usual, yeah. apparently, as soon as they go back in time. I think he would have made a baby with any of the nine ladies he's rescued so far. He's rescued a bunch of them, and he would have given any of them his child. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of enough, and they get to work on fixing up the engines. Uh Trip and Lorian bond a little bit down in engineering. Turns out Trip died when Lorian was like fourteen, so he doesn't. He gets getting to live with. He's getting to have a catch with his old man again. Yeah, it's, it's a real field of dreams. Yeah, yeah. Ask him if it's heaven. It's great. Um, Archer goes to visit old ass Teepole. They take him to visit old ass Teepole over there. And you know she's loosened up. She's a lot more comfortable with her feelings and. I don't know. It just seems like that's what we're supposed to get out of that. She yeah. gives Archer something to give to to his T-Pole. And it, uh, when we go back to Enterprise, it turns out that everyone is having this conversation with all these people. Yeah. They are not because worried about contaminating is, this crew. Everyone is all jazzed up about who they're going to fuck. Yeah. And Well, what, it's like we talked about earlier. They don't have to decide what's for dinner anymore. Uh, it's Worf and Parallels is what's yep. happening writ large on this ship is everyone's like, huh, you never, never thought about it, but... Now that I've been told it happens. Yeah, I would. I'm gonna do Shit. it. I'm definitely Shit, gonna what the hell? It. Yeah. Uh, except for Reed, who's gonna end up alone. <laughs> Not a surprise. <laughs> and he's got feelings about that, too. Yep. Uh, T-Pole goes over the document from old T-Pole, and it turns out that Lorian's mom doesn't think it's a good plan. And she thinks there's too much risk that the ship is going to get blown up. And young T-Pole and present day Trip both agree mm-hmm. that this is a dumb plan. And if they go faster than about warp 5.6, the ship's going to be destroyed. So T-Pole has, uh, uh, sorry, young T-Pole has way, an alternate proposal. It seems odd that uh, the 100 whatever years they've been out there and they haven't they haven't agreed on this yet. They've been out there for a hundred something years and the guy is like, well, I'm going to tell him to do this. And then T-Pole's like, no. Well, so this has only been the plan for nine months or however long it's been since the they, thing failed. They right? must have been very sure they were going to stop that probe. Oh, they were generationally sure they were going <laughs> to, right? By the way, what a No fuck plan up. B's was the ship motto. What a fuck up that was. They fucked it uh, big time. Ugh, I have so many things to say about it. Okay. Uh, Lorian thinks that it's worth it because there's only a... He thinks there's only a 22% chance the Enterprise is going to blow up. Yep. Uh, which it... It's not com- it's not a comforting number. No. Um, t- Young T-Pole has another plan, which is, hey, maybe if we modify the impulse manifolds, we won't go back in time, though? Yep. You ever think about that? Yeah. And... Uh, uh, they run it through the chain. Archer confronts Lorian. Lorian confronts his mom. And he's so set against this idea that he convinces his crew to do a piracy and steal the uh, plasma injectors they've been modifying from Archer's ship 
and go and meet Degra in his place and, I guess, explain a lot of things. That really would. I mean, that would answer that other guy's questions. For sure. Oh, yeah. Be like, all right, so here's the deal. Yes, there are two of us in here. Uh, no, Archer did not know about that. Yes, I am his... Uh, <laughs> yes, I, yes, I I, I am uh, the son of Teeple. That's his first officer. I am, I am the son of his first officer. Yes, time travel. Um... But anyway, that's his dumb plan. Uh, they get caught, but they but they do manage the theft. And then the two ships start shooting each other. This is plan C. Yeah, plan, plan C now. Shoot at each other. Uh, Archer sends uh, Teepal down to the transporter with a third rail idea. Oh boy, is this ever. Which is... This is a big one. Hey, what if we just started beaming out parts of the EPS system from our from the other ship? Yep, just beam all of their essential bits out of their ship in motion. Yep, and they do that, and it uh, foils the escape. I guess the other ship turns Lorian over? Because we next see him in Archer's Brig. He says, stand down, and then he contacts the Enterprise and says he wants to talk. So I assume he gets off of it, he, they link up, and then they escort him to the brig <laughs> to wait for Archer. <laughs> As the moment he link up, they just take him right to the fucking brig. Yeah, yeah. she kind of has to know. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, uh, apparently Lorian has got crippling guilt because he, he thinks that he should have used Enterprise to ram the probe. Yeah, that was his last chance. But he he uh, put the lives of his crew ahead of the success of the mission, and now it's a failure, and that's why he was willing to take this desperate action, I guess. Mm. Uh, Teeple uh, works out the modifications they need to make with her old self, and her old self asks a bunch of pointed questions about her trellium addiction and tells her you're gonna, she's going to have to learn to live with her emotions in this endless arc. But also tells her, hey, maybe maybe it's okay to talk to Trip, huh? Maybe yeah. maybe lean on other people. Don't just uh, stew in your quarters and not get any better. Yeah. So Enterprise uh, begins a run on the corridor, having made the modifications. The Kovalans attack, but ooh, it turns out that what they thought were sensor echoes was actually both Enterprises. Which should have been plan A. Should have been plan A. No one thought of it. They drive off the attackers together, but oh, but Archer's drive coil's damaged. So now he can't keep up. Lorian takes him under tow and yeets him into the corridor. <laughs> yep. And it's a rough ride for him, but they pop out on the other side and confirm that they did not time travel and they are in the present. But after waiting five hours, there's no sign of the other ship, which kind of in our side disappeared in an ambiguous way. Yes. Not clear whether it was blown up by the Kovalans or never existed in the first place. Archer and Teeple have a conversation about which of those two things they think is true, given that Enterprise didn't go back in time. And Archer is called to the uh, bridge as Degra's ship warps in. <sighs> What's this one about? After thinking about it for some time. What would you do if you could see into the future? It's a bad question. It's a hypothetical <laughs> question. I couldn't find any other way to to crystallize the take of this episode. Because 
some people, like we talked about earlier, do the wharf, where they treat uh, what these people are telling them as a guide to their future, that they're just going to do whatever that guy said. Right. And some use it to make adjustments and change change the plan on the fly, like what they do with the impulse engines, or like Reed trying to get that lady to sit down at the table with him. Because he's alone in this in this future. The first woman he sees. Yep. He's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'd rather have even this hog. He doesn't listen to the subtle clues from Hoshi that it might be because he's gay. <laughs> well, uh, he does have a case of the not gays, so that could mean something. Um, and since we don't get any look at any kind of new future that's been laid out or anything, it's hard to say who was right. It's just like, um, like I shared with you offline. It's a hypothetical question you might ask if you were high. Just, <laughs> yeah. What if you could see the future? I'm guessing this didn't earn a big score from you. I gave it a three. It's not a lot. It's not nothing because it is a it's a fun exercise, but it doesn't it doesn't really mean anything or go anywhere. Uh, maybe you thought this was about something else. Well, we have three different takes this week. Oh, that's right. We have ben, Ben's notes. Yeah. Ben thought that the take on this one was maybe focus on the mission, not your role in it. <clears throat> this guy is He's a real a- archer about it for sure. This guy is a super archer about it that he he took this mission on from Archer himself mm-hmm. on his deathbed and he has to see it through, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then at the end they realize that they need to make sure Archer's Enterprise completes its mission. So he said he didn't feel like there were ul- ulterior themes like having second chances or generational differences or anything like that, right? No, it would have been neat to investigate the generation, generational ship idea, but they didn't care. No, they did not. They didn't have time for it. They got to get to this fucking meeting with Degra. Oh, really? Because it seems like they're taking their fucking time with this whole plot. Maybe a little bit. Hey, uh, I thought that one takeaway here, okay. and I'm not going to insist that this is what the episode was about, is... Um, Life goes on, so don't live haunted by guilt. Okay. Uh, Archer's mission failed, right? In the first timeline? Yeah. But the crew went on with things. Life went on for the crew. But I guess he must have felt guilty about it, because he still passed on a bunch of horse shit to Lorian, and now he made him behave exactly like Archer. Well, I guess in a way it didn't fail, because it never got there. Happened? Yeah. Right, yeah, The mission never happened. Well, but... Archer was not able to save yes. Earth. Yes, Archer's part. It's called, It's given him an incomplete. Yeah, he's got it he's, for sure. He needed to live a lot longer. And uh, and then when Lorian fails in that same mission, he becomes uh, real desperate. Yeah. He becomes a, a desperate dummy. So, and also there's, in the moments when the crew are all talking about this alternate version of themselves... They're all very optimistic for the first time mm-hmm. in here. So I wanted to make sure that I got that sort of life goes on feeling in there. I gave it as much as a four because I think it's probably a good message. Hmm. I don't I don't want to. The alternate extreme is never think about anything that you did or how it could have gone differently <laughs> or what you would do different. Yep. But yeah, don't don't let the guilt become the defining thing. All right. Uh, what about flipping it around to X and McHugh? Uh, Ben's a six. Whoa. Yeah. He says this is uh, more interesting than it could have been. Uh, generational ship play, getting to see the alternate relationships play out. Um, 
<laughs> the the obvious uh, transmission of Archer's ethics to Lorien is interesting. It is like uh, an unbroken fucking link. There's, he just says all the things Archer would say and does all the things Archer would do, including uh, piracy. He asks whether Lorien's actions might have given the Zindi cause to think that the humans were bad people. I out have to get that them. note as well. <laughs> uh, it doesn't sound like they were out there doing good in the Expanse. He said that the whole arc would be more interesting if Enterprise itself was the cause of the war mm. instead of this unknown enemy from the future. Um, anyway, he's a six. I'm not a six. Um, the elephant in the room, apparently this setup for this episode is very similar to the setup of a DS9 episode that I have not seen. It's not a good one. Uh, that doesn't bother me in and of itself because Star Trek steals from itself all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, whatever. But maybe it upsets some people. This is a time travel episode where no one even discusses time travel conventions. Like, what will happen if Enterprise doesn't go back in time? Yeah, it's only after the fact that they begin to question what is happening. Should they be telling these people the future or not? No, they don't care at all. Yeah. So then at the end, when Archer says maybe they never existed, it really makes it feel like that's the first time Archer's thought of it. (laughs) No, I mean, he cocks his eyebrows like, huh? Maybe? <laughs> huh? I don't know, maybe, though. Maybe we didn't leave him back there dying? <laughs> That's right, he's hoping. <laughs> maybe they're not trying to breathe vacuum right now back there? Yep. Um, On the one hand, that's lazy. That in this time travel episode, no one in the show knows about time travel or cares about it at all. Yeah. But on the other hand, they never make sense of it. So maybe ignoring all of the mechanics is the best approach. Yeah, just I put in characterization. Archer doesn't know any more about time travel than your standard sci-fi viewer. No, he's done it 18 times by now, he but he knows no nothing idea. about it. He's like, I don't know, maybe they never existed. And T-Paul's like, well, then like, how would then how would any of this have happened? But we remember them. And then he's like... And also, where did we get the engine modifications and it from? it just it's, cuts away while he's making uh, a real dumb face. Oh, uh, if only there was a name for this exact <laughs> that's, thing. That's right. Oh, is this another term they've invented? Oh, wait, we invented it in the 20th century. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a little more disappointing that Lorian and old people don't have any advice for Archer about his season-long arc of, of whether the ends justify the means. No, no take. And in fact, Lorian, who's over 100 years old yep. and presumably has been in command of this ship for an entire generation is exactly where Archer is in this arc. Actually, I think they would all look at their entire journey and give it a no-take, is how it seems. Yeah, pretty much. Doesn't it seem like these guys did a no-take? They did a no-take on their journey. They all sat around before they met Archer, and they said, so what are we going to tell them this is all about? And they went around the room, and they all just decided, I can't come up with anything. I don't know what it's about. Zero. Yeah. So, like, T-Pole gets some advice from herself, and Hoshi and Mayweather get some stuff to think about, but there's there's no help here for Archer. No. And then at the end of the day, it's fucking f- here. Hey, it's filler. Hey, it's a filler episode. Mm-hmm. And the, hey, we're slowing down the Zindi arc for this. Yeah. Even though this is for sure the most thematically connected of the filler. Yes. Like it's Zindi this all the time. But uh, yeah, I I had given it a four, but I think it's a two. It's not. It's not great. Um. Yeah, aged T-Pole, not what I'm looking for. Doesn't this show have enough time travel yet? 
Um, it's, oh, I'm so mad. Why do we need this jerky slow-mo footage of Enterprise getting blasted in that nebula and going back in time? Nobody was even there to witness it except uh, old T-Pole. It is there. It is there. So that we can have one second of doubt at the end when they start to play out the exact same sequence after they go through the corridor. Ugh. Like, we may as well skip the cool cinematography, guys. Not interested. Yeah. This old lady makeup on T-Pole is straight out of the Admiral Jameson fucking nasty gremlin playbook. Yep. Good God. For sure. Horrifying. We've seen old Vulcans, dude. I've seen Sarek at age 202 or whatever. He didn't look like hey, that. It looks a lot better than this, huh? Good Lord. T-Pole's been living rough. God, um... But maybe she's super old. For all we know, she was at Carbon Creek. <laughs> I swear to God, I think she said that's her grandmother. I know she did, but what <laughs> if that was a lie? If all of it she's may be a lie. She's keeping that book. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so there's a th- something that comes up in this episode where they, uh, the, what, the good part of the council, the side that's actually having this conversation... They Degra t- and Janar yeah. and the uh, unfortunately the other primate counselor never gets a name. They talk about unconfirmed readings of another ship. And in previous episodes, they were interrogating Archer and asking uh, asking him how many ships were in the expanse. Now, they could have just been asking him about other Starfleet ships in previous episodes cuz it makes sense to send more yeah. than one how, ship. What well, what size force did you send after us? Why would you For just all, send one? All that we know about you is you're going to kill us all. Yeah. We don't know this is your only ship. But whether they had this um, two Enterprises thing in mind or it just fits what they were saying before when they wrote this script, it, it, it at least it still works based on the stuff that they've said previously. Yeah, it's the same as the Tom Paris thing. Yes. What doesn't necessarily work is the part where he said unconfirmed. He's like, no, those readings were never confirmed. But then this Lorian tells this crazy story about how they really went after that probe. And they tried, but they just but couldn't they were just destroy one it. Ship. And it's like, what was this? What happened at the probe? Can you tell us? Because I'm yeah. very confused about what the plan was to destroy that probe. Why it failed when you had 100 years to plan it. Hey, also, no wonder Degger was impressed by the sensors on Archer's military ship. If, if they can't even tell that it's the same these guys fucking didn't ship, notice that this is the same ship. It's wild. Like if Degger had seen Enterprise and said, "Huh, you took all the extra pipes off of it," <laughs> trying to trying to fool us. Uh, I see. Too much drag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it takes most of the episode for them to figure out that two ships will be safer than one in this Nebula trip. No kidding. That should have been. Plan one is we'll help shoot your way through, you know? Uh, listen, I don't know that that's true. Apparently, the first Enterprise made it through without any significant damage, despite the fact that they were alone. Well, like, it should have been Someone like, wrong this time, and their drive coil got busted. It's just like, it's of course it's a better plan to have two ships in there, but they have to shoot each other up a whole bunch before they figure it out. Um, yeah, really? They couldn't have had one ship draw them away, or... Yeah, like send one in first as the decoy and then send the other one through. To make the run. This Nebula battle was, I think, supposed to be very yesterday's Enterprise. It Um, was not. It was so boring. Yes, but I did not care even a little bit. Um, For me, it was a four. I'm going to leave it. I think I'm going to leave it a four. It was was there. It happened. What about world building? Uh, I had a question. They don't have any way to clean up all those rocks on the ground everywhere? 
Seems uncomfortable to walk on. T-Pole's in her quarters in her jammies barefoot, and there's just rocks all over the floor. She didn't brush them off to the side? rocks in all the walls? She didn't have, like, a broom? She can't just sweep them up? It's like the mafia got the contract to build Enterprise. <laughs> they just filled it with rocks. And they did, instead of insulation, they just filled it with rocks. Yeah, just throw some old rocks in there. They cut... Hey, they cut a lot of corners. The hull is way thinner than it's supposed <laughs> to be, and the weight is made up with construction debris. But why doesn't anyone clean it? Even, wow, I'm, they lost 17 people. Here's what I'm saying. Maybe it's not One a... One of them must have been the janitor. Maybe it isn't a priority in the key areas, but in your quarters, like, she's not doing anything. Yeah, she could be cleaning it. Does she want to walk on rocks? Is it because she feels guilty? Is, this t- is she punishing herself? I just saw but, that, and I went, what the hell's but, happening? How neat would it have been if they'd been one of those blue Rubbermaid rolling garbage cans right outside? <laughs> just filled with rocks. Just, like, just filled with rocks from inside her quarters. Waiting for someone to come by and pick it just up. like, I don't know, someone will get these. They're out of my space. Um, Their impulse wake destabilized the corridor and shifted them in time, I guess. Yep. That's what we are told. That's world building. Yep. Um, Haradan traders... An out-of-time Enterprise already tried to stop the Zindi. Did the Zindi realize that? Is that why they hate Earth? It would be a bummer if that caused the attack in the first place. They never talk about anything like that. Humans and Vulcans have never been able to reproduce. Though future... Well, it doesn't seem like there's any reason they would have tried. These idiots hate each other. Future Flocks claims to find the solution. Or they, somebody claims Future Flocks does. Um, yep. Yep, yep. Archer made or makes a baby with an Ikaran lady. Women make up about a third of the crew. Uh, Transporting vital components right out of a ship in motion. That seems tricky. Yep. Also, it's just something Archer thought of on the fly. Because if you can do it, then, like, all future battles are stupid. Like, as soon as you get someone's shields down, you just start beaming out their fucking warp core or whatever. There might could be a problematic scene in the next episode we talk about, in fact. <laughs> um, NX-02, Columbia, I don't remember. I'm sure it was mentioned, but I don't know. Um, I don't think it's flying yet. I'm going to give it a two. Uh, boy, I wrote all the same things you did, but I gave it the standard three. Okay. Uh... Ben is a five. Okay. He says all sorts of what ifs on the Enterprise with relationships, and he thinks they'll be thinking about that. Something about a hyperspace corridor sending you back in time. Mm-hmm. They don't really explain how NX01, how the original one didn't get detected all the time, but Enterprise has had 500 adventures since they entered the <laughs> nebula. Yep. And then he won. Same thing you did. He wonders if they're retconning by saying NXO1's mission was part of why the Zindi hated him. Whatever. Yeah. Um, he's a five. He's a three on characterization. He thinks you can really detect uh, Jolene Blaylock's bad acting even through the old lady makeup. <laughs> Hell yeah, you can. Deepol uh, says the smartest thing she's ever said by questioning how time travel works. Mm hmm. No spoiler that Reed's a miserable son of a bitch. What was the plan for this character? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is a three. I liked it a little better, actually. Okay. I had it at a five for characterization. 
Most of the character work in this episode is Teeple discovering that she can't put her feelings away again. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was done reasonably well, though I wish they'd get on with it. Seriously. Um, there are, But I thought there were a few little nice moments where you see these people meeting their descendants and they get a little optimism. After this like, dark fucking period? After this dark fucking period that they've been in. And, you know, the idea that these people failed in their missions but all went on with it anyway, right? Like, Yeah. Um, this is not an Archer story. Trip's just getting yo-yoed around in it. It's not a big character piece, but I gave it five. I split the diff. I gave it a four. Trip is pretty needy. He's like, <laughs> we did sex. Now we should get married. And I wrote that before I, mean, I saw any of the future stuff. Yeah. Then he finds out that they get or got married. And he's like, he's so, aha, see? So let's fucking get married. He's so excited about all the little details of their wedding and honeymoon. Ugh. Um, Degra's still fighting the good fight. Degra seems like both an idealist and a pragmatist. He's pretty complicated, I guess. He might be the most complicated character in this show. I hope we get to learn about him. Mm, well, we know he's got some kids. Yeah, yeah. And um, that sometimes he feels bad, but then sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> um, Archer's real nosy, just straight asking who's the father, a la Billy Boy Franks. Oh, yeah. When they reveal the T-Poles. I don't want to be indelicate. <laughs> I don't mean to sound indelicate. But who's the who's father? Who's the father? <laughs> um, yeah, when they're talking about how that guy, that Vulcan from Florida, is clearly related to T-Pole. And he asks who's the father. Like, that matters in the moment. Anyway, uh, Archer doesn't know any more about time travel than your standard sci-fi viewer, I already said. Uh, Hoshi thinks Mayweather should ask out a lady because he might have a kid with her in the future, maybe. Oh, and by the way, it looks like the father is probably Rance Howard, so... <laughs> it did, it did kind of look like a Howard. Like if a Howard had a kid with a non-Howard. Sure, you know half I mean. Howard. Hold yeah. on, let me write something down. <laughs> uh, anyway, again, Hoshi thinks Mayweather should ask out a lady because he might have a kid with her in the future. So much for free will, I guess. Um, does Hoshi always call Reed sir when they're off duty? I don't actually know. It seems uh, like she's, I don't know, but she, this dude was down. She seems like she might be afraid he was about to try to get close with her. That's good like, point. Oh, I got to go, sir. Um, who would pair off with Reed? Well, honestly, he's vile. Uh, I mean, Trip. Two seasons ago, would have been Trip. <laughs> I was but say Trip. Well, as they were, it's gonna have to be Flocks. I'm sorry. As There's the only person nasty enough on this ship, as Trip and Reed protested that they were definitely not gay. That's when they would be mm-hmm. pairing off. Um, yeah, of course he ends up alone. Uh, Major Hayes is probably who's oh, going to be. Oh, all that tension. Sure, I get it. It's got to go somewhere. Uh, old T-Pole says she'll never recover from her experiments with Trellium. But that mainly just means she'll feel more emotions, so I don't really care. She's got to be a hippie and start wearing robes again and maybe strap them down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't find that to be a big deal consequence-wise. I don't care. No. I don't care about that. No, that's the thing is it doesn't seem like there are going to be consequences. No, like she'll have a little bit more emotions. Just a little, though. No big deal. Uh, Yeah, just a four for me. What about quick hitters now? Um, I recognize this Vulcan crony, this Vulcan son of people from Timelines and Timelines Only, and I have seen this episode before. So that's how much it meant <laughs> to me. Uh, 
direct. I don't know. Boy, I don't think I had Lorian in timelines when I stopped playing. This one was directed by Roxanne Dawson. I normally don't see those things in the credits, but I happened to catch it this time. Um, pretty standard. There's no time to explain line from this dude Lorian when he yeah. shows up. Yeah, the fucking Enterprise, a second Enterprise comes out of a cloud, and Archer's like, "What? What's going on?" And he's like, "No time to explain." It's like, why? <laughs> yeah. What do you hang on? What do you mean? Well, but this one, you understand that this one needs explaining. <laughs> this, I feel so let's like, take a little time. I feel like we should explain. I got five. Let's go. <laughs> um, this Vulcan asshole is just going around telling everybody exactly what happens to them, like a fucking nasty old Tupperware that's been soaking in the sink too long. Sorry, you know what? I've got some dishes that I've been meaning to knock out. <laughs> Made it into my notes. Um, kind of. Kind of funny, Archer getting his warp engine sabotaged after what he did to our friend Damar. It's true. It made me happy. Uh, he's not going to be able to take it back now. That's right. <laughs> Sorry I fucked it up. <laughs> well, technically I didn't fuck it up. My uh, <laughs> my first officer's 100-year-old kid <laughs> fucked it up. Damar's going to hate fucking humans after that explanation. Um... Again, how bad is the plan? Let's shoot at each other. Let's shoot each other to shit. So both of our ships are broken. This is what's going to solve this mission. Yep. Uh, that's it for me. I'm out. <coughs> what about you? Or Ben? Uh, I get a little excited now when I see these previously on Enterprise segments because it cuts a couple of minutes out of the running time. It's true. I click skip immediately and I watch how far the bar moves. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Of course, Flocks played God with everyone's DNA. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> it and was his idea, and he did it. Of course, Flocks had a bunch of kids. God. Do you think that whoever was telling Reed about how he ended up alone was also dropping a lot of hints about him being a confirmed bachelor <laughs> and stuff like that, and Reed just totally missed him? <laughs> it could be. Well, he's uh, he's so British, you know. Stiff upper mm. lip and all that. <laughs> uh, it's very clear that this guy learned to be a captain from Archer. Mm-hmm. Why does Archer even have time travel discussions with Teeple? She barely believes in it, despite overwhelming evidence. Yeah, she only just recently came to believe it. Like a, like at the, a few weeks ago. At the end, when he says, maybe they never existed, and she says, why would we have memories of it? He should say, I'm not having this conversation <laughs> with you. <laughs> Get out. Get out. I don't want to talk about it. No, again, they just they cut away with him making a real dumb look. Like, ah. Best actor's a tough one in this one, huh? Uh, isn't it always on Enterprise? Yeah, I gave it to Old Teeple. Wow, all right. Yeah. That's a rare win thought, for that actress. I liked her relaxed vibe. No, oh, she was super chill. I assume she was on, like, I don't know, glaucoma stuff, glaucoma treatment, maybe a lot of marijuana, I don't know. Oh, I, I, I have stage nine Vulcan cancer. I... I take a lot of morphine. I mean, they fogged her eyes up real good, which is something that most people don't do when they age people up, which is why it always yep, looks they still have their they still have their baby eyes. But I think yeah. they went too far because hers were so foggy and gross. Yeah. She definitely has glaucoma. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, I give worst actor to Lonely Reed. <laughs> I fucking hate Reed trying so to, much. Trying to ask that lady to come over. Hey, why don't you come sit here? There's a seat here. There's a seat right here. I'm not gay. Hey, uh, tits. Come sit over here. 
There's only one left to do, but it was a double. <laughs> Just unfortunately, big, everybody, this next one was 90 minutes. And it's a big, big double lap. But a dense 90, too. Yeah, it was, well, it was 90, but it didn't. There's without credits. Big, there's one set of beginning and opening credits missing, and that's like seven minutes in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> and they decide to just shake up the whole Alpha Quadrant. Just a lot of stuff happens. It's a lot. Yeah. Matt, why don't you tell us what happened in The Way of the Warrior? Well, definitely in that clip, it all sounded a lot muddier. They changed it's crappy. They changed the theme song. They included some real dumb bongs, I guess, for war. <laughs> there's a lot of bongs, and then there's like the Spaceballs guy doing the <laughs> Thus Spake Zarathustra timpani in the back. But it's down too low, and it's not at the same beat as the melody. It's very bad. <laughs> you did tell me you were mad that they changed the theme. The whole thing was so good, and they trashed it up. That's true. That's they, that was your favorite. They like they took the original recording, they sped it up ten percent, <laughs> just like I did with "So Excited." That's right. And then they just had someone play drums underneath <laughs> it and added a bunch of bong sounds. <laughs> the bongs are for Wharf, everybody. Spoiler: the Klingons are here. Yeah. Anyway, it's garbage now. All right. Well, let me ruin it. It was so good. Let me get into this. There's a lot of notes here. All right. Cisco. Kira and everybody else are going around the station, sweeping their phasers and stuff, looking for changelings. Kind Do they all look like they looked last week? No, there's some. Um, we got a bald dome on Cisco. Kira's got a new hairdo. There's a lot happening. Yeah. Don't be scared, though. It's just a drill. Odo's. O'Brien's hair is longer in the back. Longer curlier uh, and stringier. It looks real it's nasty. A, it's a real bad look. He, for some, I think he took up hockey. Like over the break, and now he's got it's hockey ex- hair. It's very, it's hockey hair for sure. Yeah, uh, it's just a drill. Odo is posing as a changeling infiltrator so they can practice killing him. Uh, he gets Bashir, and then Cisco says um, he's got to go. Well, they're they're not good at it, by the way. The drill runs for almost four hours. I know, and I get the feeling Odo gave up in the end. I think he was tired because he just he definitely there. in real life he definitely had time to. Uh, dome Bashir and then zip back into the vents or whatever. <laughs> or just right back into that panel he came out of. Instead of just standing there waiting for Odo to say, bang, you're dead. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Cisco's gotta go. He's got a hot date with Kaye. I'm calling her Kaye now. I like it. Um. Uh, those two exchange gifts in his quarters and eventually uh, the conversation turns to the Dominion. Sounds like a whole new series of defenses are being equipped at DS9 to counter the threat of a Dominion invasion. Just then, Cisco's called the ops with a "You better get up here" from Dax. Um, one General Martok is asking to speak with Cisco from the new Klingon flagship. Uh, he says it's been a long journey and he needs shore leave for his crew. Cisco agrees, and then suddenly a shit ton of Klingon ships decloak. Uh oh, yeah. credits. Uh, it has been a long journey for him. The Klingon Empire is not supposed to be anywhere near here. No. They took their whole fucking fleet, cloaked it, and flew it across the fucking quadrant or whatever. Yeah. Um, Martok comes to see Cisco, but first uh, he makes sure that uh, no one's a changeling. They do a blood test with uh, Doc Tang. Um, yes. No one is a changeling. <laughs> that's right. No one's. Everyone, be clear. No one's a changeling in this room. 
anyway, he says he's been ordered to DS9 to fight the Dominion alongside Starfleet. He got the order from Gowron himself. Cisco says uh, that's not necessary, and they haven't heard anything out of the Dominion in a while, but Martok is insistent. These guys have been uh, really resting on their laurels since they destroyed the entire Obsidian Order in Tal Shiar. <laughs> that's right. Dax and Kira get wet on the holodeck, even though Kira has a hard time concentrating because she's worried about Klingons. Garrick and Odo are having lunch when some Klingons harass Morn. Odo goes and stops them, but it's clear the Klingons are becoming a problem. They then show up at Garrick's shop and beat him senseless. He can't figure it out why they did it. And then a distress signal comes from K.A.'s ship. They're under attack, so Sisko saddles up the Defiant. When they get there, they see it's a Klingon ship that has K.A.'s ship and a tractor beam. Our uh, ship's the Zosa. I don't know if we mentioned that before. Her ship's the Zosa, the Klingon bird of praise of the Mchar or yes. Mchar. They say Mchar, but I don't know if that's right. Um. Uh. Anyway, uh, I guess they're now stopping and searching vessels all over the damn place looking for changelings. Cisco orders them to stop since they're in uh, violation of Bajoran law. They're in Bajoran space. But they refuse, so Cisco gives them a warning shot, and they finally abandon their screening and piss off. Dax says the Klingons have redeployed to just outside Bajoran space now so they can continue all their dumb searches without violating any weird Bajoran laws. Uh, Martok comes in and drops off the dagger of the Captain Sisko just shot at. He was executed for disobeying orders. Sisko doesn't care much about that, except it means the Klingons are a nuisance. Yeah. He specifically does not care. No, it's not like Sisko liked the guy, but that does suck dick. <laughs> um... Cisco has a scathingly brilliant idea, and in the next scene, our old friend Worf is here. I guess he wasn't too far away, or we've had a time jump. There must have been a time jump. We'll talk about it later. Worf says... They dragged this old boy up, preying on Borath again. Uh-huh. I know we haven't talked about it yet in this show. Yes, it's gonna happen in TNG in the in episodes we haven't gotten to yet. He will have visited yeah. Boroth. Um, Worf says he's just been chilling at Boroth since Enterprise blew up. So that tells us when this is in relation to that as well. Yeah, it's like a we're like a year after Generations here. And he's thinking of resigning his commission. But for now, he'll help Cisco figure out what the Klingons are really doing here, since everyone's pretty sure this is a ruse. This whole we're here to fight the Dominion thing. After some hijinks with Kira and Dax, Worf confronts the Klingon dick who attacked Garrick earlier. He beats his ass and steals his dagger. Turns out it's Martok's kid. Worf uses the dagger to get Martok to come and see him. Uh, Martok shows up exactly as expected. Uh, and Worf grills him. Martok lets on about an important mission, but won't say more. Dax visits Worf on the holodeck, and they have a Batleth fight. Mm, she gives him the idea that, given how many Klingons must be around, and since he's fucking royalty, yeah. there must be somebody around hey, who's sworn to him. Prince? <laughs> yeah. One of your retainers is around here, certainly. Um, so, of course there is. Uh, Worf gets sauced with uh, the old guy and convinces him to spill the beans. He gets some bad news and is thinking about what to do about it when Odo confronts him and lets him know he's all up in his shit. And uh, he'd better go tell the captain what he found out right away. Uh, Worf finally goes to Sisko and says the Klingons are really here to invade Cardassia. Yep. Which that makes sense, because that why else would you come to this part of space? I, hey, 
It kind of does. Uh, there's nothing else going on here. Apparently, they've learned that there's been a change of leadership on Cardassia, and the Klingons think it's a Dominion plot. Um, or maybe that's just an excuse. It kind of gets batted around at various times in this episode. Yeah. Cisco informs Martok that the Federation is serious about this. Uh, if the Klingons attack Cardassia, it's going to jeopardize their alliance. In a dense staff meeting filled with intrigue and political theory, Cisco comes up with an idea to warn the Cardassians about what, uh, uh, oh, sorry, to warn the Cardassians without officially betraying the Klingons. Right. He invites Garrick to come and take his measurements while they have a big meeting about the Klingon invasion. Yes, they do a briefing theater for him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even want to listen to the whole thing. He gets the important bit, which is just over an hour or just under an hour or whatever the invasion is supposed to take place. Right. So he leaves and he calls Dukat. Um, he, I think he's surprised to get him too, or does he call him directly? No, he's not trying to reach Dukat. Okay. Uh, he calls Dukat, uh, who is, I guess, running the show over there now, and warns him about the, uh, the invasion that's supposed to happen in an hour. The Federation condemns the invasion, and Gowron, the Chancellor of the High Council, responds by withdrawing from the Kitamur Accords, and I guess now these allies have broken up. Yeah, they're not at war, but the alliance is, the treaty is broken. Gowron shows up to recruit Worf for his uh, glorious battle against Cardassia and uh, chews up the scenery for a bit. It's powerful. It's powerful stuff. Um, Worf refuses and Gowron re-dishonors him and his family. Re-dishonored, just like he was. I mean, he at least threatens him with it. I don't know if he goes through with the paperwork but he it's, definitely threatens it's true. he may be busy for a little while but he threatens to do it i gotta, i won't forget about this war i definitely won't i got a lot on my plate so i'll get to it but you don't expect that to see the paperwork like, huh, there was something else i meant to do today the paperwork might you might not see it for a couple of weeks but it's definitely you're gonna get it yeah you're right and then anyway everyone's gonna cross their fists you know the deal two weeks later he's like swear to god this is bugging me there was something i don't remember what um Maybe I know. I maybe I wanted to eat corn. <laughs> no. Um, no. Worf and O'Brien have a drink, and Worf says he misses the Enterprise too much, and that he's going to resign. He attempts to do so, and Cisco refuses. He goes, "Nah, you can't do it." Cisco arranges with Dukat, who now leads Cardassia, to meet out in space somewhere so they can rescue the new Cardassian government because this invasion's going to go real bad for them. They uh, also start evacuating civilians to Bajor, and Cisco has a real um, melodramatic goodbye with K.A. Yep. The Defiant comes across a graveyard of Cardi ships and eventually comes to the rendezvous point. Dukat's ship is under attack by three birds of prey. Bashir points out that they're about to end two decades of peace with the Klingon Empire, and Cisco gives the orders to uh, just go in and <laughs> fucking shoot these motherfuckers. Yeah, he doesn't it, do anything with that warning except yeah, I guess te- so. Technically, the Klingons fire on him first, yes. but it doesn't matter. Ah, uh, yeah, they're fired upon and they fire back. They make some progress uh, on these birds of prey, but then a Klingon cruiser decloaks and joins the fray. Anyway, they use some techno tactics to buy some time to lower the shields and beam up the Cardi government. However, they are followed back to DS Nine by Klingon warships. Yeah, their cloak is busted. Uh, Garrick... Not that they needed it. Where did the where would the Klingons think they were going? They were definitely going back to DS9. The cloak's not helpful if you're going in a straight line path, probably. Uh, Garrick and Quark chat about how odd it is that they're left depending on the Federation, whom neither really enjoys for their safety. 
Uh, as Defiant gets back to DS9, a huge Klingon fleet decloaks. DS9 is now under siege, a collection of scenes of folks getting ready for battle, letting us know who we'll be checking in on during combat and where That's they right. will be. That's correct. Including the odd couple of Garrick and Dukat. Um, then a long collection of battle scenes in space and on the station after they're boarded. Things look really bad until Sisko finally does the Starfleet thing and talks his way out of it. Gowron is convinced not to lose any more of his fleet on this battle, and he's going to save it for the Dominion, and probably Cardassia. Um, afterwards, Sisko comes to see Worf and convinces him to stay on DS9 as the new strategic operations officer, so he gets that red uniform. Yeah. And that's the end. He gets a baggier red uniform. <laughs> well, you know, Michael Dorn was... He wasn't interested in uh, working DS9 on his... nine uniforms are very frumpy, so... He wasn't interested in working on his fitness anymore anyway, so... Just put him in I'm that. huge. Is that on enough? <laughs> That's it, man. 90 minutes. Uh, well, not all as well. The Klingons have fortified the positions they took from Cardassia. They're not going anywhere. We're gonna... We need Worf. Yes, they're telling us specifically a couple of things. One, there's a reason we got Worf on this show, and well, we've created a reason Worf is on this show. Exactly. And two, don't don't get excited. There's no Dominion stuff happening anytime soon. We're busy. This is Worf's show now. Yeah, this is a this is a sideline in the in the Dominion War arc, but we're gonna hey, we're gonna explore it for a while, huh? Yep. But um but was there anything to take away from it? Any Ugh. message or moral or anything? So for uh, so first of all, this is a repilot. Yes, it is. DS9, uh, new and improved. Yeah, exactly. Worf's here now. He has to meet everybody and start establishing what the theme of their relationships are going to be. Since, by the way, since they changed the theme and they're doing all this shit, they should have just rebranded it DS9 The Next Generation. They really should have. Uh, Worf is the reluctant Starfleet commander that Cisco was an, an emissary. <laughs> yep. Some of it's pretty by the numbers. Uh, it's actually the third <laughs> the third pilot because they started season three by repiloting with the Defiant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Dominion War that, that they ended up putting on hold. Um, but despite that, I think that one thing you can take from this pretty stuffed episode is if your only aim is glory, war will gain you nothing. Okay. Uh, when Worf warns Cisco that the real reason the Klingons are at war is because a lot of them have like a vague sense that things used to be better. Yeah. I wonder what that's like. The old glory seeking empire used to be better. Mm -hmm. That's eight years of experience since heart of glory Mm -hmm. talking. Um, but it's obviously the case. Martok for reasons is willing to throw away the whole alpha quadrant for this shot at glory. Yeah. Um, Luckily, Gowron is still shrewd enough to know better. Aside from a reminder to make sure you're fighting for the right reasons and maybe to avoid the toxic impulse of nostalgia, there's not a lot we can personally do with this take. Right. And of course, it's buried under all of the um, meeting Wharf and is Starfleet still his home stuff, but it's fine. I gave it a five. Uh, I gave it one point more for the take. You can't run from your problems. They they just gonna follow you. Which is explicitly said out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going with the Wharf Cisco plot. And allows us to pretend that 
we understand how Cisco came to that realization. And instead of, again, at the season three repilot, when he just showed up there and said, I realized this is my home now. Yeah, I live here now, and this is where I live. I brought my masks and everything. I brought all my African masks. I live here now. Um, The rest is mostly world building, I think. There's so much that happens in this fucking episode. But I'm going to treat this as the story of Worf, because they want us to see this show as the show of Worf now. Um, he's been running around, running from his Klingon problems for fucking ever, and those never stop bothering him no matter where he goes. And he's got to come face to face with leaving Starfleet after Enterprise beefs it. But, like, you're never going to get Enterprise back, so you can't really run from that either. Although, if he just waited, he could have been on the new one. But anyway... Yeah, it seems like... It doesn't matter. He shows up whenever they have a big adventure anyway. Um, Just like when I quit Little League, and then the next year, my whole Little League Miners team... Went. Was the what was the green and yellow majors team? Oh fuck! Moose Lodge. Okay. Uh, just like when my entire minor league team got promoted to become Moose Lodge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I was like, oh, damn it! I should have kept playing. <laughs> All those guys are still playing together. We would have been really good. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, general enough to be useful, but not a super hot take. So six for me. What about? execution all right this was an incredibly full 90 minutes it definitely changes the game for ds9 gave us back a character that we like at least we liked him on tng although the wharf it gave us back is season six and seven wharf Mm -hmm. with his weird religion (laughs) yes religious zealot wharf weird religious zealot wharf uh not it's the scent that first <laughs> right. speaks of attraction I get or whatever. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not season one wharf, which is the wharf that I love, but we do get a sort of sullen, more sullen wharf. You sound like the wharf that misses Enterprise. It's, yeah, it's true. <laughs> we were like the warriors from the old sagas. <laughs> uh, anyway, it creates a lot of new stakes and everything, but it also stalls progress on the Dominion, who we've already been slow burning for years. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's how they're best. We'll find out. Like, eventually we will find out whether we like it better in the war or teasing the war. Yeah, that's true. So far, they've only really been operating as a nebulous threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shifts focus off an already pretty large cast of characters, if you think about it. Is the show going to be all Worf all the time from now on, or are they going to keep some balance? We will find out. Um... They're giving us the first real main character romance to track. So, TOS, Kirk had a new girl every week or whatever. In TNG, there's Riker-Troy stuff, but most of the time they ain't dating. They aren't really together. There's Picard-Beverly feelings around, maybe, but they're even less. They're even less together than Riker and Troy. And then in the last three or four episodes <laughs> yeah. of TNG, Riker and uh, Worf and Troy are dating. But they don't do much with it. They don't. It doesn't happen. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing happens with so it. So they're gonna. They've decided to make us actually track a romance between Cisco and Cassidy, and they're actually doing it for some reason. So yeah. that's another thing to keep keep an eye on. Um, finally, getting th- they're also planning stuff. This is probably more characterization, but they're planning suggestions that she's not entirely trustworthy. Mm-hmm. By the way. Finally getting the good actors together for a conversation about the Federation. I thought that was super effective. It was a Babylon 5 conversation. Well, you will be happy to know that the writers did not want it to be that way. (laughs) 
the producers did not want it to be that way that uh armin shimmerman made it that way and insisted wow it's always the director the director had to go to the producers because they weren't doing the scene the lighthearted joke scene that was on page Uh instead they were putting all this subtext in and when and then when the director went to the producers the producers were like oh that's better yeah um this is i remember when i felt really bad when i found out what's his name had written all the good tng episodes um, Ron Moore. Ron Moore. And then I was instantly gratified to see that he thought they were all bad. Yeah. And I, oh, okay, good. So he still doesn't have instincts. That makes me feel better again. Yeah. Yes, this is just like that. Yeah, no, that was uh the scene was in there for nothing but filler, and then they started making it a scene. It was <laughs> and, then, and the director was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, do I have the authority to do this? <laughs> it was so Babylon five, I <laughs> thought maybe they stole it from JMS's Bible, like they stole everything else. Oh, it was a Babylon 5 scene for real. Um, Except that the music would have been way different. I liked this episode more than I liked it. I thought it did so much. I hated taking notes on it. I oh, yeah. Was, I had to pause it 45 times to keep up. I gave it an 8. Uh, I, I thought there were a few issues, so let's, let's talk about how this goes. First of all, it's mo- this is mostly a pretty competent episode, mm-hmm. and, and they really pulled out all the stops. They brought in Gowron and Ducat. Yeah. Uh, Garrick gets a handful of good scenes. Worf has some good scenes. Cisco's getting work done. Even Dax, I like a little better as a Klingon in a fashion model's body yep. than as eight competing personalities. Yep. Yeah, replace all those with Klingon. Let's go with that. But this is a double episode with lots of room to play in, and I don't think they do a good job of explaining why Worf wants to leave Starfleet. No, all I keep saying is that he misses Enterprise so much, all his good buddies. Yeah, but... But why? <laughs> that, like, the scene where he reveals that maybe he was getting some kind of satisfaction out of Enterprise's big adventures and being on the flagship and so on... Mm-hmm. I think that scene would do more work if it seemed like he was disappointed with being assigned to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Instead of being disillusioned with the whole Enterprise. Yeah, except that now DS9 is like the hot place to be. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the Hollow Suite stuff with Dax and Kira could have been cut. It seems like it only exists as a setup to have Kira have an embarrassing introduction to Wolf. <laughs> it is weird. I, I went, oh man, this episode's so dense. And you said, uh, you pointed out the bat, the whatever they're called, Hubishian Hub- Hub- Baths, something like yeah. that, on trail. And I went, oh, yeah, that scene wasn't really necessary. <laughs> that wasn't necessary. but And also in that scene, Kira Kira is doing Rolaren in Rascal's work, mm-hmm. where Dax is like... Use your imagination. Use your... You know, don't you have an imagination? She was like, I, I remember imagining the Cardassians would leave Bajor alone. I mean, it's almost exactly and, what Roe said in the episode yeah, where and, she was a kid. And I think that is literally for the benefit of TNG fans checking back in because Worf's on the show now. <laughs> That's right. Hey, remember this? They're be like, hey, hey, Michelle Forbes didn't want to do it. We got another one. Uh, You'll like Kira, though. She's pretty good. You're going to like her. <laughs> you just got to stick, stick it out. Anyway, this is her deal. <laughs> yeah. So that... That I thought was not. Either not trusting the audience or they just wanted to, hey, this is a pretty heavy episode. Can we put our two ladies in bathing suits, please? Yeah. Did we pay Lita to be in this one? She, did she be around? <laughs> no, we didn't. Okay. We no, didn't get no, it. Okay, we didn't. All right. No. Put on the uh, hypercolor there. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Um, the Klingons do not seem 
formidable in this episode. Uh, do you mean because Worf beats the crap out of them, or do you does the Defiant beats the crap out of them, or just because they're kind of bumbling, or what? Oh, because I mean, oh, DS Nine blows up fifty of them. All of the above. Yeah. DS Nine takes out eight Klingon ships yeah. in thirty seconds. The Defiant popped a couple of them, and it seems like they could pop Birds of Prey all day. Yep. If they didn't have to beam the Council out of there, oh, they could yeah. have just been busting skulls, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh even the Klingon boarding action appears not to be a serious issue. Well, yeah, Kira catches a knife. The fr- okay, so Bashir gives a lot of medical advice, and he's like, "Watch out! They like to use batlets and stuff." Yeah, they do. They don't. Yeah, even, they do. They don't do a lot of shooting. Hey, use guns. Like the only guys they kill, they kill with guns, and they don't use them a lot. Why do you make a gun be part of your uniform <laughs> if you're not going to use it? If you're not going to do shoots. And then you're right. They beam onto the bridge, and they all get shot. <laughs> Yeah. The first nine dudes who beam onto the bridge just get shot in place. And yeah, eventually Kira gets stabbed and O'Brien gets a bonk on the head. <laughs> yep. But that's just so Dax and Worf and Cisco yeah. can beat everybody they up. They all get embarrassingly beat with batleths by this Federation hey, crew. Hey, Gul Dukat has taken out a bunch of Klingons with a <laughs> yeah, batleth that he found. Everyone on the station picks up a batleth and beats Klingons in battle with it. Yeah, they're pretty pathetic. It's so they're terrible. bad in space and they're bad on the ground in this one. Yeah, maybe. I don't know whether that's new or not. I don't know. Often Worf has to get beat up to show that the bad guy is a threat. In this one, the Klingons just eat shit. Like, that's <laughs> their role, too. Yep. Um, But for me, the biggest problem, and it is a very usual problem with this, is Cisco's wild autonomy. Oh, yeah. He does whatever he wants in this one. Murtuck shows up with a whole fleet. Yeah. And he's there for a while. Cisco has time to summon Worf from Borath. Yeah. And, like, he's got paperwork to do. He's still technically on leave. And he comes by, a, he shows up at the airlock with a bunch of Bajorans and shit. Like, he took regular transports. Oh, yeah. So there's time in this episode, but we never see a Starfleet Admiral. Or a task force of ships. A whole <laughs> fleet shows up at Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Where's Necheyev? Right, what's she been up to? And like, yeah, he sneaks behind their back to do the Garrick stuff. But he just takes his ship out to rescue the Datapa Council. He doesn't call anybody no. or say anything. And it's like... When big shit happens in TNG, Picard talks to an admiral. Most of the time, yeah. Like... When they put together the uh, task force to fight the Romulans... He needs permission from Fleet Admiral He gets permission, right? Exactly. Cisco just does whatever he wants in Deep Space Nine. Well, he was promoted like, last it... week. Yeah, he's a captain now. I get it. <laughs> why does it work this way? This should be... Again, this is the most important spot in probably the whole Federation. Yeah. And if it wasn't before, it is now that a whole Klingon fleet and Gowron... Are here. Yeah. Eh. I do think the episode's pretty successful as a repilot, um, but I only gave it five. Okay. There, like I said, some problems. Um, what about world building? Uh, yeah, I'm a seven. I mean, there's a lot of it. The with we see the Negvar, uh, Klingon fleet, which is it's got a lot of old metal in that fleet, huh? Yeah, uh, just like everyone else, they're fighting this war with the army they have. That's right. <laughs> uh, we see changeling detection drills, blood tests, the coup on Cardassia. Uh, 
The Cardassians and the Klingons have a past. They fought an 18-year war, although it was apparently not a war. It was referred to as some kind of incident. Right. Uh, in this episode, we have the end of the Kittimer Accords. We learn about the Nibarite Alliance. Uh, we see Defiance Ablative Armor, giving them the opportunity to do some stuff with their shields down. We see DS9's pretty powerful new defenses. Yeah. And it ends with the Klingons having captured a bunch of Cardassian space. So Cardassia, since the start of this series... <laughs> They've really gone in the turlet. ...has lost the Obsidian Order. Yeah. Then the coup replaced the military with civilian control. Yeah. Now a bunch of outlying Cardassian territories in the hands of the Klingons. Presumably the Maquis will be taking advantage of this also. I would assume. Uh, so yeah, things have really gone downhill for Ducat and company. Although he's still not Ducat personally. Yeah, he's he, still floating. He has, he has sort of switched sides. There's an implication in this that the reason he's working with the civilian government is presumably he turned on the military. Yes. Um, that's a lot. I gave it a seven. Um, there's nothing fundamentally new about any of this. It all feels like logical offshoots like we've seen the cardassian resistance and stuff so yeah i'll just skip to the end here to start I'll, i said everything changes dramatically in this one so much plot happens there's so many notes for me in this section this is a contender for world building is episode just in terms of the amount of things that happen yeah you don't seem to jump on the big fundamental well because most of the time i hate them world building things if most of the time when there's a huge thing like uh thought controls the universe i go oh i fucking hate that so much because how are we gonna handle how is that ever gonna be handled it seems like everyone has decided that life goes on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. We got the proper wide beam phasering in this episode where they, yes. it looks right. And they're just zapping everything in the room instead of just shooting a thing down a corridor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they figured out that most stuff can take a light phaser shooting. Odo can just kind of slip inside a panel. I guess he didn't really Again. become the panel. He came out of it. His shit is impossible to understand. Absolutely. So, yeah. uh, surprise drills based on what we saw in the finale of season three. Tholi and Silk, I guess because they spin webs and shit. Yeah. Well, the yeah. But are they are spiders now? I guess they're spiders. <laughs> they weren't just using... By the way, spiders don't spin webs like that. No, not like that. The Pike City Pioneers logo is busy as hell. Not a classy logo. No, but would you really expect it? It's a this is a a, a ball team. That's not even this independent ball, dude. They yeah. ate. What did she say? Eight weeks at maximum warp. The cool thing about the Pike City Pioneers, Ricky Henderson's still playing. That's right. He got another shot. Player Later coach. Twenty three hundreds. Late twenty three hundreds. He's player manager of the Pike City Pioneers. Uh, the new weapons installed for the Dominion threat. Cardies have sealed their borders. Rumors of uprisings and civil disturbances. Warp finds out the government's been overthrown there. Um. Nobody even considers, and like, until the end of the episode, that the Dominion plan might have been to just say we're everywhere and then watch everything go to shit. Like literally at the end, when Cisco's trying to talk Gowron out of continuing the battle, he says this is exactly what the Dominion wants. But until that point, it seems like they're fully operating as if there are change things everywhere. Yeah. Um. No one at any point says that they've caught one change. No, no one has via this method. Uh, you mentioned the new Klingon flagship and class. Um, largest Klingon task force we've ever seen, certainly. Uh, it invades Cardassia in this one. Worf describes what the Klingons will do when they conquer Cardassia. 
I get the feeling that Discovery goes into this in a way that the other shows don't, but we've the Klingons always operate under kind of a weird feudalism mm-hmm. model. You have to gather your like armies. The, you got to the houses muster, get, yeah. Yeah, call their banners and whatever these ships they have, they have. They don't usually operate in big fleets like this, it seems. Yeah, they'd be like, oh, the house of whatever, man. All they got is like six Katingas. What are we going to do with that? Oh, they're going to use them. They have no choice. They love Katingas. <laughs> Listen, the Tong went on its mission not that long ago. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Worf describes what will happen when the Klingons do conquer Cardassia. He says they're going to put some kind of fucking overseer in place or something who will crush resistance on the planet i don't know he describes it execute all the current leaders and then crush resistance hey it doesn't sound good Klingons may not be the good guys here war (laughs) no it doesn't sound like a winner uh the return of the blood test to catch changelings uh no dominion activity for some time according to listening posts in the gamma quadrant it's weird that they let them keep having those the dominion oh weird that they don't get rid of those um yeah the Hubishian baths on Trill. Um, the Klingon guy indicates Morn's people are from the Firelight Nebula. Yes. I don't know what to make of that. Um, the Betreka Nebula skirmish between the Klingons and the Cardis. 18 years. Uh, yeah, skirmish. 18 skirmish, years. Skirmish, right. Uh, this week, Cisco says, tell the crew of the Defiant to man their stations. So now I guess they got a crew? Uh, well, when they're... Except the senior staff is still the same. <laughs> Prepping for boarding, there's way more Starfleet security personnel than we've ever seen. Yeah, so that might be another thing that has happened between seasons. Um, Again, her ship is the Zosa. Not sure if that had been previously mentioned. Yeah, it was Commander Kabok of the M-Char, spelled M-apostrophe-Char. Yeah. Uh, Let's see what the Klingons are doing with their screening policies, just stopping random ships all over the damn place. Um... The Federation Council says a Klingon invasion of Cardassia would jeopardize their alliance. Uh, Worf and his theory about the Dominion threat being an excuse for a popular war for Gowron's administration. But I think you're right that Martok is driving it. Federation-Klingon relations are radically altered in this episode. The Nybrite Alliance cruisers are always looking for experienced officers. Cisco, maybe with Federation approval, intercedes to rescue the Cardassian government now led by Dukat. It is unclear. Uh, you mean, boy, it may, it may feel like the Starfleet just backs him after the fact, even. Yep. If they even talk about it. Um, I guess when they call, they say, hey, we're sending six ships your way and not, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? You made war with the Klingons. <laughs> Why isn't that what the message should be? That gold uniform admiral should just be calling going, hey, hey, hey. what's up? I know you and I don't see eye to eye, but come on. <laughs> Uh, it's bad when the ablative armor fails, huh? All the, it's, uh, they lost their cloaking device and all kinds of shit. Yeah, it's not so good. Uh, again, Bashir points out they aren't actually allowed to use the cloak in the Alpha Quadrant per their agreement with the Romulans. Yeah, Cisco don't care he about rules. He doesn't care about that either. Not bald, Cisco. The Federation can still barely scrape together eight ships to relieve DS9 when there's like a hundred Klingon ships attacking them. Boy, given what the Defiant just did and what DS9 did it itself, a Federation oh. ship might be worth many Klingon ships. I think the Klingons start to think of that, too, because when he's like, and my reinforcements are closer than yours, they're like, ah. Yeah, Garon certainly doesn't go, six. <laughs> yeah. 
To, uh, and at the end, we see that two of them are Excelsiors. Oof, so it's not just the Klingons yes. who are flying old ships out there. Oh, again. Again. Throughout the whole Dominion War, you'll be seeing fucking Mirandas everywhere. <laughs> like 19% of the fleet is still Mirandas or something. Yeah, they're going to be the Liberty ships of the Dominion War for sure. Um, Let's see. Bashir's medical advice about uh, combat with Klingons and then Odo's advice to him about what they, they don't give a shit about doctors, basically. Um, does this go say five? Well, also, there's like there's like ten kinds of Starfleet officers. That's that a lot to keep track uniforms. of, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd expect if you're going to the medical, if you see that you're in the medical bay, that there's yeah. they're probably doctors, but maybe they don't. Get I mean, maybe they shouldn't be attacking astrobiologists either. But like, <laughs> what did learning about rocks get you? Um, did Cisco say five thousand photon torpedoes? That sounds like a lot. I did say 5,000. That's a ton. Where are they hiding those things? Are they just like... they just in the docking uh, most ring? Most of Deep Space Nine is empty, right? I was... Like, isn't it <laughs> Now it's mostly torpedo empty? storage. Now it's almost all torpedoes. Yeesh, I don't like to think about that. Something, shit goes wrong on that station all the time. Oh, for sure. There's probably still 500 Cardassian traps in there. <laughs> yeah. Is fire control automated on DS9? I find it hard to believe Worf and Kira were individually controlling all those emitters and launchers. And he, Especially when Cisco tells the weapon stations to fire at will. Yeah, and then he says weapon stations, and I'm like, who else is doing this? Because I only see Worf and Kira pushing those buttons. It is one of the Star Wars, Star Trek differences, right? In that, in Star Wars, every gun you see seems to have gunners. Mm-hmm. Like it's the actual current Navy, except even the current Navy has a lot of automated fire control. Dude, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars is a weird combination of future tech and like Star- lack of technology. Star Wars has bad computers, <laughs> they, except they got, real good AI and robots. As far as I can tell, they don't have the internet. They uh, they for sure don't. And Which again, wild. <laughs> a popular question is whether Luke Skywalker can read. It's, well, he was just a moisture farmer. He can fix robots, but I don't know if he can read. Well, he was, he was hoping to get into the Academy, though, so... Oh, uh, well, maybe that would have come up. Nog had to learn to read. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, in Star Trek, it doesn't seem like... Also, Star Trek is always so nebulous about where the phasers come from. They can come from any surface, it seems like. Like, oh, like for sure, in TOS, there is a phaser room. Yeah. Because we saw a guy die there. Yes. as It's distinct from the laser room. That's a different place. Uh, that, that Yes. That's in TNG, and you do not want to go there. <laughs> Don't go in there. You know instinctively We saw a guy bad. die there, too. He knew he was going to die when he went in there. Um, uh, the Klingons intend to keep all of their Cardassian gains from this episode. I gave it a nine. Listen, I mean, they are definitely setting it up as now shit is happening. Yep. The only reason it didn't so. get a ten is because there wasn't any kind of universe-altering thing. But there were many quadrant-altering things that happened. Yeah. Uh, what about characterization? Why is O'Brien salty about Odo at the end of that drill? Because of power play? Is he still uh, mad about power play? Is that why he's still a jerk? Man, maybe. Because, like, Odo's, like, trying to point out that four hours is a long time. He could have done all kinds of stuff. And then Odo's like, we get the point. I mean, uh, O'Brien's like, we get the point. And it's like, what are you mad about? Yeah, it's a good question. It doesn't make any sense, really. Uh, he seems jollier when Worf shows up, though. He's happy to show him around, show of all his new buddies and everything. Yeah, you know, he had a good rapport with the officers mm-hmm. on Enterprise. Except for Riker. I mean, he knows what he did, though, so. it It's not going so well on Deep Space Nine, frankly. No. 
Uh, he does know what he did. So I'm sure when Worf shows up, he's glad to be like, ah, you can tell these guys I'm cool. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'm not just the guy who complains about his wife. That's right. Tell them all the stories about all the cool times we had. Tell them all the times I was drinking a 10 forward with you guys or playing poker with you guys. Or yeah. Don't tell them. Don't tell them about Power Play O'Brien. Maybe don't tell them about that. <laughs> we don't talk about that's that here. Not your favorite and version of me. Also, don't tell them. Um, uh, don't tell them about what Roga Danar did to me. It was a real emasculating. <laughs> it was bad. You were there. You saw it. Don't tell them. Um, Cisco and Yates. That whole thing continues. Chef Cisco continues as well. Um, now they just flirt on the view screen in front of their crews. That's their their relationship has advanced to that. Well, everyone on Cisco's crew, at least, is too invested in it. So I think we saw Dax that whole time having her fingers crossed. Just like, oh, I uh, hope it goes well. Oh, she wasn't back there doing the fuck gesture with one <laughs> finger through? <laughs> Maybe. Um, Cisco has been in Worf's shoes, so he doesn't push him too hard about not resigning. I mean, until he refuses his resignation entirely. Yeah. Uh, but he learns a lot about Worf and his abilities in his first 20 minutes that they're together on this show. Basically, he's like, hey, Worf, uh, I don't know, find out this Klingon plot. And then Worf comes back and goes, got it. He must already have known who Worf was. Oh, he's got to be a legend. It has to be the legend yeah. of Worf. Exactly. Uh, but, man, I wonder if he held anything against him for, you know, for working for that guy. Both worlds. Working for that guy who killed hey. his wife. Enterprise wasn't didn't blow up the Saratoga. No, they blew up the Borg. He should be maybe he thinks yeah. he's a great guy. Um Cassidy has got a swole bean for Cisco's dome. Yes. That's a real gross way to think about it, but sure. <laughs> I titled this week's notes. You're right. There's an increase in blood flow to that region for sure. Week seventy two, swole beans. Um she doesn't say you look just like Hawk from uh, <laughs> uh, uh Spencer for Spencer Hire. for Hire, yeah. Dax fucks on the holodeck. Oh, for real. Dax. I mean, that's what it's for. It's not the holodeck, right? It's the hollow suites. It's definitely for fucking. Yeah. Uh, she's also immediately very intrigued by Worf. She meets him yeah. in Quarks, and she gives him a little curtsy, and then she comes and joins him in the holodeck. She likes Klingons, but he's also a Klingon weirdo. Yeah, she's into weirdos for sure. Yeah. Um, She has a Klingon fighting holo program, all with the Skeletors and everything. I mean, it's got the Skeletors. He likes the Skeletors, so he's into it. Are those dudes from Klingon mythology they have or to something? Be. And the weird, There's gotta be the weird guy that looks like uh, a, a monster from one of the Ninja Turtles movies. You know, yeah, the other Worf guy found that shit on Klingon Wikipedia, and he put it right in his program. <laughs> I don't know if we've seen that program before on this show. I can't recall. No. Um, it wouldn't be crazy, by the way, for Dax to have been doing Klingon Hollow Sweet maybe shit. Maybe in like a core episode or something. Because they've been hitting that she does Klingon shit all the time. Yeah, she's a god godparent to whoever's kid. One of those. Yeah, core or, or one of the other Koloth ones. or know. the third one, Kang. Kang, yeah, yeah. Probably Kang. Kang. I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, Kira doesn't have much of an imagination, like Ro. If only she'd just been Ro. She doesn't even want to fuck Lancelot on the holodeck. Listen, I like Ro. When we get get to Ro, Ro does a good job in her scenes. Mm-hmm. I, I like I like Nana visitor. I think she does fine as Kira. Well, fuck. We could have just had them both. What, you can't have two we have two Bajoran yeah, ladies there, on there one show? Be two, there could be two Bajorans on this show, for sure. Uh, then she's... It's actually kind of weird that there's only one, frankly. Then she's mad embarrassed when Worf sees her in her outfit. 
Uh, there was a good small touch conversation between her and O'Brien when he says he hopes the modifications all work and the station doesn't blow up. She gives a very realistic kind of smiling sarcasm when she's like, oh, is that the only problem? But it was the best acting job I'd seen her do in a long time. <laughs> um, Odo, who claims to be antisocial, has now bothered to come up with a cool trick to pretend he's having a beverage. Well, it's not that cool, so I'm into it. It's a real dad trick. It's he bought a he bought a magic store glass <laughs> yes, where did. the liquid flows back in. But we're supposed to believe it's changeling business. Um, yep. Garrick speaks Klingon. He also plays it pretty cool um, when those guys come and beat the shit out of him in his store. Well, uh, when he's telling Bashir, his greatest admirer about it, he sure plays it cool. He is um, not enthused about relying on the Federation for his own safety, though, as we see in that scene with Quark later. Um, Worf was on extended leave back on Boroth. He's considering resigning his commission because he's a sad sack about the blowed-up Enterprise. I guess he should have just waited for the next one to be launched. Yeah. He's not ashamed to order prune juice. Um, no, I don't, no one has told him yet that that's for shit. Well, the first time he ever drank it, he said a warrior's drink, and no one corrected him. So no, no, everyone <laughs> on that ship, you do not. So he's that's just... not where that's not the ship where you sass war. <laughs> so he just assumes it's a warrior's drink. That dude will put you on report. Uh, Worf knows all about Curzon, so that fucking asshole has a his big reputation. We didn't talk about this, right? But Worf is the his crew's Kern. When Kern comes in and he's busting everybody's ass, yeah, and it seems like the episode's gonna be Kern has to learn to lighten up, yeah, yeah, yeah. before they do that good fake. Uh, God, that was, Worf that was is a that good fake too. Worf is that for the security people, right? Like, they're the department where you don't get to make jokes. That's right. Yep. Oh, for sure. That's why Worf was into the discipline, but then Kern kept going soft on him. Yeah, to fuck with him. Um. Uh, let's see. Worf does not play games. Worf knows all about Curzon. Worf stands right up to Martok. Like, like he's uh, general well, who gives a fuck. Well, first of all, Worf felt very at home in the council chambers. Yeah. Killing killing Duras and yep. t- telling Kampok he was without honor. Yep. All kinds of stuff. So, yeah, who the fuck's Martok? <laughs> Some general. He's like general uh, of this fleet. Who I don't give a fuck about this guy. So, some general who talks about he has orders from Galron himself. I know Galron. Galron's my buddy. Worf knew Galron when he was the weedy weird guy. Me and Galron hang out. Like, it's real. It's like, hey, Galron's not my boss. Yeah. Galron wouldn't be in power if not for the Enterprise. Are you kidding me? Yep. So he beats up Martok's son and then just comes in and then Martok comes in and by the way, I'll get to it, but Martok, his tune changes so fast in that scene. He reads the room with Worf and changes his attitude so quick. Oh, he, he knows that there, his attitude when he comes in ain't going to work. He goes in there pissed off, and in 10 seconds, it's like, hey, hey okay, man, take it easy. Okay. I, 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 let's be cool. Um, oh, you, oh you, you took the dagger intentionally, so I'd have to come and ask for it. That's oh, that kind of scary. <laughs> Ooh, that puts me in a position. Actually, that makes... Ooh, that, ooh, that oh, sends a tingle down ooh, my spine. What's, ooh, what's even worse is I did it. I, I, I did it and I didn't even think about it. I don't it. like this at all. I don't like how you're in my head. 
This guy's in my head. Oh, you are not intimidated by whatever passes as a badge of rank on my uniform at all. I mean, I came in here doing my best rip torn, and you don't care. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because, you know, he beats up his son and takes his dad. By the way, and then tells he's not him even his... trying to do Rip Torn, right? He's got a mouthful of prosthetics <laughs> yeah. and shit over one eye. He's got 100 fucking mangled teeth in there. It just comes out Rip Torny. Um, yeah, he beats up Martok's son and then takes his dagger and then Martok comes in and he goes, Yeah, your son fucking sucks balls and you probably suck balls. Like, he probably yeah, learned... By the way, I don't, think, I don't think a lot about you from having met your son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Worf is royalty and can find a retainer in any group of Klingons that's large enough. I don't know what that yeah. number is, if it's eight or ten Klingons or something, but... He, he, his house has been... Oh. Sort of not a thing. Mangled, yeah. For, I don't know, 40 years? How old is Worf supposed to be? That's why he's got to find an old guy. Yeah, it's an old guy for sure. Yeah. Uh, Worf claims he would give his life for Gowron. Like, someone, someone's asking somebody else about that guy. Who does he serve? And then the other guy's like, the House of Moog. Don't. It's a whole thing. Don't even. You can look it up on Wikipedia later. Cling on Wikipedia. He will. He will talk your ear off about it. So don't. I would. Uh, my advice: don't even ask. Again, how close Worf is to Gowron? He says he would give his life for Gowron. That's what he yeah. tells Gowron. But he's not going to do a dishonorable thing. No. Um. We'll see how far he's willing to go with Gowron in season seven. That's all I'm saying. Uh, if Worf considered Kern at all in his conversation with Gowron, he didn't do it for very long. Because no. he doesn't pause very much when he's like, nah, I ain't going. I think uh, Worf knows about Gowron, that Gowron will do whatever's politically expedient. So in six months, it'll all be okay? Right. Like, yeah, he may he may do the things he threatens to do now. He may not. Yeah. Either way, nothing's permanent with this dude. That's right. We got our we got our honor back with him once before. And now he's threatening me again, like it's no big deal. Yeah. Worf says he thinks of the Enterprise crew as warriors from the ancient sagas. Let's look out yeah. for that on TNG. You know Wesley Crusher and Deanna Troy. And <laughs> yes, Dr. Pulaski. the greatest warriors, <laughs> Doctor Pulaski, the legend of Pulaski, Sonia Gomez. Yeah, and... all of the legends. O'Brien himself. Leon Sue and yeah, uh, Chief Engineer the, Singh. Uh, everyone, <laughs> Chief Engineer Singh. Oh, he that is a saga for that's, sure. That's assistant Chief Engineer. Yes, uh, Argyle yeah. and yeah, you know, the Warriors from the Ancient Sagas. Um, Worf has lots of ras- rationalizations for his abysmal parenting. <laughs> Just talk. <laughs> oh about yeah, how Alexander's really happier. He's uh, he's happier. He's on happier Earth on Earth. Be with me sure. anyway. It's cool that I'm <laughs> wherever I am. I'm really. I had a huge break after in Enterprise blew up. I didn't go. I wasn't on Earth with my son. Yeah, I went to Borov. In war, there's nothing more honorable than victory. Something that he says. Uh, yeah, the, this wharf is uh, has a lot more experience with the Klingon Empire than uh, season one wharf. Who had only read about it? Would have been pretty shocked. Well, he's pretty. By the, some some of the dishonorable things the Klingons do. His his uh, meeting with uh, Conmel the Ugly and uh, and the Good One, chorus chorus um, is definitely an eye opener for him. They say lots of stuff, and he's like, "Really? I didn't read about that." What? Yeah. Um. He helps convince Gowron to stand down at the end too. Odo. He. His role, I felt like in that scene, was to give Gowron the specific out he needed. Yes. 
Yeah, to uh, lose... Like he is to lose, he's cooking the justification for him. To win a battle that kills an empire... I don't remember what he it's, said. It's no, it's no victory. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and the other way. <laughs> Odo and Worf clash right away. I guess two security chiefs on a small station like DS9 ain't gonna fly. Even though we're both the outsider. Yep. Rather than shit himself and run out of the room when Garrick tells him about the Klingon invasion, Dukat slings insults with Garrick for a while. I think he really yeah. hates that guy. I did enjoy getting to see them together again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When they, they don't get to do any real business, unfortunately. No, they just kill Klingons, mostly. Yeah. Mm, Gowron is like... Gowron's like the guy who keeps hiring Ben Wyatt at that accounting firm in Parks and Rec. <laughs> just constantly disappointed by Worf, but clearly has a real thing for him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, <coughs> it's one of my favorite minor characters from Parks and Rec. <laughs> hires they, Ben Wyatt like four times. A lot of good minor characters. That uh, world building score on Parks and Rec would be fucking off the charts. Oh, All yeah, it sure. does is build Pawnee. Um, Gowron is reasonable reasonable enough to be dissuaded from further action at the end of this battle, though. So he's he's still the Gowron we know. Yeah. He is still political Gowron. And I am including him in characterization since this is at least the second time we've uh, seen him now. For sure. Um, Bashir. Well, it's the, se- it's the second time he's been in Deep Space Nine. He was in House of Quark. Oh, God, you're right. I forgot when he was trying to look at the Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> he hated it so he much. He was not enjoying QuickBooks or whatever. Bashir loses his bedside manner with Dukat, but um, everybody's pretty stressed, I guess, right now. Uh, Quark and Garrick have that interesting conversation about, uh, the Federation and how these boys are soft jerks who think they own the fucking galaxy, but also, like, we kind of need them. Yep. Quark used to be a cook on a freighter. Yeah. Anyway, this... That makes sense. He's a restaurateur. Just the sheer amount of notes I had in both of the last two sections is what I mean by dense. They did a lot of things. No, it really is. Um, this is they didn't bang this one out for sure. This one this was a seven for me. Uh I'm only one behind you. I think it's a six for characterization. Again, my major complaint is that I don't understand Worf's desire to leave the Federation. Why can't you just accept that he misses his friends from the old sagas? It's not enough. It's not enough for Worf is the problem. Um what if Kales told him to do it? Worf's problem has always been Worf's biggest enemy it was even in his psych test was relying on other people. Yeah, but that went away right away. I wish that had stayed. I wish we'd been able to track that cool thing about him that he said. I know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cisco. Cisco's going to do what's right regardless of treaty obligations. Oh, boy, that's. But then you have a whole conversation about is it right to, in the short term, do the moral thing if it leads to thousands of deaths? <laughs> yep. Well, he's not going to fuck he with doesn't it. Doesn't care. Um, Worf is conflicted, but after very little convincing, decides Starfleet is his real home. That's true. Really, all Cisco has to do is say, you know, I used to think like you, but here I am. Honestly, that's not even what does it, because he says that to him in the first scene that they talk to. He's like, I thought about doing it. I know I would have regretted it or whatever. I think it's just that he said, uh, I'll give you a different uniform. Uh, it, it's like so, starting that again. That happens off screen. It's like starting again, because you know? I was waiting for him to offer him the post, but he doesn't. No. They make Worf decide he wants to stay in Starfleet, and then we get the reveal. It's weird. He's like packing his shit. He's like, I'm going to the Nibirite Alliance. <laughs> uh, Dax 
knows the real Klingon Empire better than Worf and can help him negotiate it. I think a lot of people do. I think he can't well, see it. And they sh- they should, but it's an interesting... It's the first thing Dax is good at. Yes. Uh, have you ever worked with someone and then, and then changed jobs and then worked with them again at another job? You may not have. I don't think... Uh, yes, I have. Was there like a couple of weeks when you had to be like real close, closer than you were the first time you worked? I remember. <laughs> Before you eventually drifted back into your correct relationship. <laughs> I remember that person not being particularly impressed that we had worked together before. Uh, and then me going, yeah, people don't like me. That holds, uh, that holds up. People don't like me that much. Uh, well, I, I worked with someone and then two jobs later I came to work for that person. And, like, we had to have a lot of lunches where we talked about the good old days at first before we could just have whatever relationship we have now. Yeah. And I feel like that's O'Brien and Worf. Like, right now, they have to be buddies because Worf doesn't know anyone else there, and it would be weird if O'Brien wasn't going out of his way to show him around. Like, maybe if O'Brien said to him, I have nothing to say to you, Worf, I think you know why. Right. (laughs) He should have done that, by the way. That would have made him feel a lot better. Anyway, they're negotiating that. Um, it was nice to see Garrick and Ducat together. You said so. You mean you you talked about characterization for fifteen solid minutes? Yep. I'm just trying to figure out if there's anything I haven't said. Yep. You know, in general, there's a lot of meeting and getting to know you in this episode, mm-hmm. but they use everything that's established about the characters and the relationships that they have. I think to pretty good effect. I'm just I'm I'm just salty that we had an insight the opportunity for an insight into Worf that we then didn't get. Yeah, it's annoying. Yeah, so that's why it's a six for me. It's all right. We're definitely going to get another show about Worf, and then we'll finally figure it out. Yeah, I think there's going to be more Worf stuff, huh? Um, Damn. What about quick hitters? We're close. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. This is not a seamless season transition. We have bald Cisco. Mm-hmm. Kira's got new hair. I think Odo looked different, too, like in his face. That they changed his makeup or something. Mm. So there we go. Uh, General Martok, real show-off, huh? Showing up cloaked just with one ship and, and then having his whole fleet appear. He's a real fucking after, scheming dick. After tricking him into getting yeah. Uh, shore leave. Yeah. Can't do that. Um, when Martok does the Blood Buddies version of the test... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my first thought was, man, Bashir's version is so much less messy. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't spill just all over the blood table. everywhere and like rubbing it into the table and everything. Gross. Come on, man. I know you like your knife, but geez. What um What is the plan with this hollow sweet visit? What did uh what did Dax think was gonna happen in there? Four way with uh two holograms. That was what I was afraid of. And what did Kira think was going to happen in there? Why did she go? She was nervous the whole time that she had to wear a bathing suit. That was already too far for her. Yeah. Why'd she say yes? <laughs> she uh, uh, she had already put off Dax a couple times. And then now she's and like, that, oh, I should have said yes to the first thing. That was just drinks. Was that was that bathing suit a present from Dax? Of course. Or did they get them in the program? Why are they the same? Is my it was definitely, Why do they have matching swimsuits? It was a gift of a matching swimsuit. Again, Kira definitely thinks she should have accepted the first meeting invite, or the first uh, invite, which was just drinks, and now she's like locked into this whole thing. 
uh-huh Ugh. yeah now she and dax was like it's a spa day we're gonna pamper ourselves Come on, and then you Kira never go anywhere there, and it's a fuck spa yep. and she's like oh god in the same room with you dax she's like yeah and then maybe and then dax is like same room for now that's right maybe same bed and then it's like okay well all right hang on dax great i know you've been a man and a woman and, and you're two all women mixed up sometimes but come on yeah uh <laughs> Murtaugh brings in the dead captain's dock tang mm-hmm. and slams it down and dax picks it up and explains it but i and i, I just at the moment i wished that she had picked it up and said well, some kind of knife. <laughs> i don't i don't really know i don't know why he did that klingons huh it's weird but it doesn't matter it doesn't make any difference cisco doesn't care what did Dax say to Worf that caused him to say, I suppose? Uh, yeah, that's true. She says a Klingon thing to him, and it's not translated for us, and no one bothers. Yeah. He has a real complicated reaction to it, and I I want to know what she said to him. Something about how um, it's not the Enterprise, but it's not bad. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh he uh, sings with that old man. I oh, always love Klingon singing. Got it. She said, "Yeah, you might be mocking us, but I I've heard about when you were dressed as a merry man or something." Oh yeah. So <laughs> I know what you get up to in the. So then that, that's why yeah, he doesn't make fun go. of him anymore. Uh, I heard you once were an old west sheriff. <laughs> he goes, "I suppose." Uh, I see. All he said was "nice hat." He was not confused about what was happening. No. Uh. And then I had a fucking, as this scene started to play out, I had a panic moment where I'm like, oh no, we have to establish all new relationships. Oh yeah. It's it's season four. Don't make me learn how people interact well, again. At least we already know Worf, even if he's not the Worf we love. Yeah. And then I was just excited, like, oh, here's Dukat. Oh shit, it's Gowron. Oh yeah, all our old buddies. Then I hoped Gowron would get a scene with Dukat, but that never happened. But can you imagine? <laughs> oh my god, I don't think they've ever had a scene together. That would be Dukat great. Dukat just sneering in a corner as Gowron goes ape shit and bulges his eyes. <laughs> Gotta be so uh, They talk about Jake, but he doesn't get paid for this one. Nope. And uh, I re- I like it's a dumb little joke, but I loved that Rom had disassembled Quark's <laughs> pistol for spare parts yep. and left him a note in that box. And then he it's says, "It's weird that Odo reads Ferengi, but whatever." And then he says, "When he finds Rom, he's gonna kill him." And Odo just goes, "With what?" <laughs> yeah. Um, Odo was feeling it too. I just, uh, I was just thinking you were talking about how they didn't pay Jake for this one, and then I thought, "Oh, Jake is actually replaced with Cassidy Yates." Kind of like that's yeah. who Cisco has a tearful goodbye with when he's about to go maybe die. Not his kid. <laughs> Not his kid who already yeah. lost his mom. Yeah, he make they make Cassidy Yates say to Cisco that Jake has already been evacuated to Bajor or something. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry, yeah. Ciroc, you're not in the show anymore. Yeah, sorry, buddy. Damn. You got too tall. It's weird. Yeah. Why wouldn't the Universal Translator catch what Gowron said to Worf? Is it because the Universal Translator knew that Worf was going to translate this it for everybody always else? The, this, we have this question 9,000 times per week. How come it selectively translates? How does it know? It's so, it's so wild. Yeah. How come it didn't do uh, what Dax did? It should have translated what she said. 
And then, uh, not only are they, do we see the Vorchas, yeah. and do we see a bunch of birds of prey, and yeah. of course, those could be any size and age. They could be Gavorts, they could be Borels, know. who knows? That's TNG's fault, they were too cheap to build a new ship. Uh-huh. Until they did. Uh, but then when the Katingas started yeah. showing up, I was like, oh man. Well, you know what we were missing? Oh, yeah. I couldn't tell if any of the Katingas were actually old D7s. That would have been the best. And then we got the new one. We got the Negvar, which uh, the one time it shoots seems very impressive. Yeah. It's weird that they didn't use it more. <laughs> they should have shot a little bit more. <laughs> I gave best actor to Gowron shouting Worf. Uh, that was my favorite. It's like just a cut in. Like they tell Worf that Gowron wants to meet with him and they cut in and he's just. <laughs> they should have actually got in halfway. Oh! <laughs> Oh, they should have. They if you cut the just the first tenth of a second off of there, so you don't get the W sound. Perfect. Would have been like that time they cut to Kirk mid fight in that hallway. Yes, which was amazing. In Journey to Babel, that was wild. That was an amazing edit. I uh, just a priceless cut of that episode. I give worst actor to uh, Moog's drunk buddy, wishing there were some way he could repay him. <laughs> like he was saying to him, I know you called me here for something. Yeah, so... he knew what the deal was. Um, that's it for me. Do you have the, you must have some quick hitters. You took all those other notes. Yep. Uh, let's see, I already mentioned all the changes between seasons. Hey, if those communicators they wear are anything like today's phones, it was a huge mistake for Kira to hit her comm badge and talk to O'Brien right after Cisco did. The echo on that three-way is gonna fucking <laughs> stop their conversation dead in its oh, tracks. Yeah. Ah, no, oh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Oh, can, can you mute yours? Yours, 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 yours. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, uh, uh, do you have the sound? I'm sorry. Did you join the meeting from your laptop it's, and the conference room? It would be the worst thing she ever did. Um... Uh, introduction of our boy Martok. Sort of. Yeah, it's not clear from the resolution of this episode that we're going to get a lot more Martok. Yeah. Because, uh, like, you could say, well, I mean, it wouldn't be Gowron. Gowron wouldn't be out here all this time. But out of universe, it could be Robert O'Reilly every week. Yeah. He'd say yes. For sure. Uh, I love Worf's growl after he takes that dude's dagger from him. When yeah. his buddies start to circle around and Worf just kind of growls at him and they go, oh, did I growl? We don't do that. That's a Starfleet that's, thing, I think. What are you, some, that's some animal <laughs> shit? Like, I don't, What's this growling? That's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away with this one. I'm going to keep my you fucking shit. dude sniffs a lot, too. What the <laughs> fuck? Weird. Then that guy went around talking about Starfleet growls. Like, he's just like, yeah. watch out for those guys, dude. The Starfleet officer kicked my ass and he growled at me. Um... Again, the way Martok reads the room and changes his tune is great. Um, Babylon 5's Lita Alexander manning uh, one of the, I think maybe the weapons on the Defiant. Oh, she gets she, one line and she, and she looks real pasty. They did not do a good job with her makeup <laughs> and her in this one. her panel explodes right in her face and she dies. Don't worry. She is like a, a natural redhead and someone <laughs> misread her in the makeup chair for sure. She looks creepy. And uh, Cisco don't care about her death either. Nah. Um... I don't think they beamed up the rest of that Cardassian crew, just the council members. So, I agree. R.I.P., my guys. <laughs> you hate to see it. Good news, you saved the rest of the council. Uh-huh, you'll never know. Um, Kira says getting stabbed by that huge knife isn't as bad as it looks. I guess she could be right, because she really hulked up and did some fucking Krav Maga on the Klingon who stabbed hey, her. 
I mean, fucking maybe if her liver's on the other side of her body. It's just like, that knife's huge. <laughs> it, that, that stab wound that she took, that one's a hard one to survive. Yeah, but again, she beat the shit out of the guy who did it. So, I don't know, maybe it was fine. Maybe she's fine. And we'll see next week. Uh, next week she'll be fine. That's it. Maybe I, next week Steve Swiss 9 is called The Visitor because <laughs> Nana Visitor died. <sighs> Why'd you get my hopes up? I know what it really is. Oh, actually, I really like next week's episode. Okay, good. And you'll know why instantly when it turns on. Oh, good. I'm looking forward to it, then. It's got Tony Todd. Damn it! <laughs> I have spoiler alerts. Why do you rule Spo- that for spoiler me? Spoiler alert, everybody. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I always throw my shit into my uh, episode description, so I'm out. <laughs> All right, well, the numbers are in. Yeah. Uh, fifth place this week with uh, 13 points. Mm. Which is a pretty poor showing. <laughs> Voyager revulsion. We agreed it sucked. Hey, we don't love snatch. <laughs> we don't love snatch. We don't love snatch. I listen. Um, my, my, this is not the show to discuss my feelings on snatch, <laughs> but not into statutory rape. Okay, let's just make that clear. Uh, do you want to start again? We've only been doing this three hours and yeah. Let's just minutes. do the whole thing again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fourth place this week with 27 points. Uh, not great, but that's just in the mediocre range. E squared. We were very Enterprise. close on those first two. A point off on each. Yeah. It, second place is going to be a tie this week. Oh. We have uh, TOS, That Which Survives, Transfigurations, TNG. Both 34 points earned the same way. 18 from me, 16 from you. Yeah, That Which Survives had a good premise score, and uh, Transfigurations did good on world building because of you, yeah. I believe. Uh, yeah, I give them the lion's share of those points for sure. Uh, but the big winner this week with 53 points, a big which score. is really pretty good. It's about fourth or fifth best. Uh, it will be fourth best. Deep Space Nine. And the number one the DS9 way, episode. The Way of the Warrior is the, is the number one Deep Space Nine episode. That is Deep Space Nine's 22nd win. Wow. Uh. TOS already is mathematically eliminated from going out in first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're pretty close to being locked into third place. Uh, they cannot finish worse than third place. Realistically speaking, they're going to be in third place. because Third place is where they're going to be. It's almost a mathematical certainty now they have. Something tells me the lights of Z- Zetar, Zetar yeah. Requiem from Methuselah, The Way to Eden, and so on and so on, aren't going to be big winners. No, my guess would be no. They have seven episodes left. They are five behind Deep Space Nine now. Yeah. The next time we convene to discuss Star Trek episodes. Probably be after the holidays. I think probably in the new year. Next week, I think we're out. That's a Christmas week. I'm traveling. That's going to be too hard. So that means when we get back, if schedules allow, we would be doing a mailbag. If you are available to do a a mailbag around the new year's holidays i am available right but uh we'll we'll do a mailbag then so in the new year we will be discussing the lights of zatar the best of both worlds it's it's just part one but they didn't title it part one yeah that's true uh the visitor i like that one the raven which i believe is seven of nine backstory yeah that was the ship she was on we've been told and the council, oh, 
Maybe we'll finally get somewhere. Oh, wait, there's more after that. So well, There's more after that. Who knows where we'll be. Uh, but that's what you should watch for week 73. Yeah. Next week is a mailbag. Yeah. Next time we next time we pod. Send us mail. That's at BrotherDate on the Twitter machine. Uh, brothers at BrotherDate.com if you want traditional email, which Judah has said he prefers. Um, <laughs> you can also... It goes right to my inbox and I have to... I don't have to trick Twitter into showing me what people have sent me. You can also go uh, to the website. That's brotherdate.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, I don't know. Other other pod catchers that, that, go to, that use iTunes? Probably. Um, I mean, the one I use works. I use... Um, which one do I use? Hold on. We're only four hours in. I got time for this. I use one called Pocket Casts. Mine is called Overcast. Another very popular podcatcher. Okay. Um, all right, everybody. That's it. Um, so, so as you believe, uh, as you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do as you believe. As you believe, so, so shall, shall you, you do. do. And he's clearly speaking through a full body and face suit designed to make the special effects work. He's just in a fan suit. He's, and all they've done, special effects wise, is add a glow. <laughs> he's. he's Subscribe.